Hello and welcome back to the septic tank. Say hi, Derek. Hello, everyone. We have missed you. We have missed you a lot. It and has, we've missed each other as well. Absolutely. We have had a time of it. This uh, summer 2020 has been... Oh, boy. Whew, memorable. You have to talk about least. You have to talk about what you've went through over the past several weeks. Oh, man. So, you know, um, uh, Derek and I were supposed to record a couple days after um, 4th of July. We had, like, set it up. We were, we're trying to kind of get on like at least a once a month schedule and we've been doing really good and we've been doing really good for the most part considering the world's ending considering (laughs) that the world is ending exactly (laughs) and um we uh i had a great you know weekend um and then when it came time for us to record i i got very ill um, and I was like, I don't think I have COVID, but anyway, I long story short, I went to the doctor and was diagnosed with Lyme's disease, which is, I would say, very mo- much more serious. Yes, I kind of wish much more serious. Kind of wish it was maybe something else. Can I just have a little COVID? Yeah, just a little COVID. Just maybe. like maybe, just, just maybe COVID eighteen. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, I was, that was a little bit devastating. So I've been kind of recovering from that or attempting to recover from that. Um, and I'm, I'm feeling all right. I'm feeling okay now. Um, still a little tired, but we're good. And it just, and then, you know, the week before that, we had, tra- we had tried to reschedule. And it has been, if our listeners in the Mid-South know that it has been ungodly hot. Oh, my goodness. It has been terrible. And so, uh, and Derek works in a very hot environment. And he was like, I need, I need a break. I need a breather. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Can I just sit by your fan, <laughs> please? Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> we finally were able to, um, to get together today. And uh, we're very happy that, uh, we're very happy that we get to. Absolutely. And when you say hot, like, for listeners that are not familiar with Tennessee weather or humidity, oh God, it has been like so humid and like 85 feels like 105. Yes, it does. And 95 feels like 115. It so been, It's been miserable. And it hasn't been a lot of breeze. It's just no. been like just steel, just oh. steel and just so hot and muggy. So yes, very hot. Well, and you know, this week we were supposed to, it was supposed to be thunderstorms all week and mm-hmm. I'm looking out my window right now and it is blazing blue sky. <laughs> it is. Yep. Yep. So it's I, a beautiful day, like outside looking in, or excuse me, inside looking out, but then you walk outside and immediately you're going to be like drenched in sweat. Just done. Yep. Just done. Mm-hmm. So through all of that, we finally were able to get together today and we're very excited to, um, we've got a lot of stuff that we want to talk about. Um, we're obviously going to touch on COVID. Um, we're going to touch on some of the Epstein stuff. Um, we're going to try to throw in some some positive things too, maybe, you know, just a little bit of that. <laughs> That's right. We, we need it nowadays. We, need we, we it definitely nowadays. need it. And speaking of, I just want to real, real quick uh, say thank you to uh, all the people who offered feedback and the people who like sent pictures of them like in their vehicles listening to our podcast and stuff that means so much not only to myself but especially December because this is her brainchild and uh, you know I'm a guest here and I'm thankful for our relationship and our friendship and everything but 
it does me good to be able to send that to to her as well. And I know these people would send it to you if they, you know, had some kind of relationship with you. Absolutely. But I love sharing that with December and just making her day. And uh, so to all of you that are like regulars that communicate with me pretty regular, uh, thank you. You know, I always say um, thank you to Mary because Mary's so interactive, you know, all the time. And uh, I also know that there's been some changes uh, with some people on some jobs that you've talked to me about and different things. I know you've kind of been, um, you know, stressed about that and different things. But just understand, karma comes around. Everything's going to be okay. Keep your keep your head up, you know, stay positive, and everything's going to work out. And so we just want to let everybody know we appreciate you. So just know that we appreciate you. Absolutely. Ooh, I finally got mine. That sounds great. Yeah, I was I was just a tad quiet. I couldn't quite hear myself, but now I can. It's crystal clear. Um, but anyway, yeah, we we appreciate all of you, and thank you to all of you too who send Derek those messages. He sends them to me, and it really does make my day. And I've actually um, shout out to Jocelyn. She sent me a screenshot about two weeks ago for the some of my friends. She and um. A while back, especially during like the main parts of quarantine, I was uh, talking a lot about sharing some embarrassing stories from my past. And <laughs> one of them she was there for, as she said, she was one of my mutual friends who was mutual friends with somebody else in the story. And she sent me, she's like, I'm dying laughing. I was like, oh my God, I'm glad <laughs> I forgot I recorded that. So <laughs> I'm That's very, funny. very, it makes me happy when you guys listen to these and, um, my plan is to kind of get back into doing some of the shorter, funnier segments here in the next week or two, especially because thank you to Derek. We were having, you know, I think some of you who have listened to the last couple episodes, we've been having some cord issues with things cutting out and Derek went ahead and got us all new cords and it has made just it's such a difference. So thank you, Derek. No, for no that. problem. And, and I, know, I know my role. I'm the support role. <laughs> He's the support role. So now we just have a beautiful sounding podcast. Again. It does. So it sounds Fantastic. Sounds great. So we'll go ahead and we're just going to dive right into COVID-19. Um, so today is July 27th, 2020. And we are no better off than we were. Um, in Tennessee, things have been pretty lax. Uh, as of last week, Walmart and various stores in Jackson. Now, I don't know about Dyersburg where Derek lives, but in Jackson, which is the largest town closest to me, you can't go in anywhere. Masks are mandatory. Um, you can't go in anywhere without your mask. Um, now, Gibson County, there's still no rules. Um, but Walmart and a couple of the other big re retailers have said, you got to have your mask to come in. Um, as of yesterday, I pulled the statistics before we started. As of yesterday, there are 847 cases in Mad Madison County, and that's an accumulative number. So from the beginning till now, they've had um, 847 cases with 13 deaths. Um, that is, you know, that's what we're sitting on here. <clears throat> um, of course, there's, you know... I think it was last week that they were talking about in Madison County, which now Madison County, Jackson General Hospital is our larger hospital. 
and they feed and support the smaller counties around us like Gibson County like I could potentially get sent to Jackson General if it's serious enough and some of the other outlying counties as well Um, and last week I think they were down to like seven ventilators which is a little that's a little low um, for the workload that that hospital could potentially have so that's where we're at for the Jackson part of West Tennessee. Do you know what the numbers are in Dyersburg, Derek? I don't know what the numbers are specifically, but I do know, like you you mentioned, uh, in Dyer County, there is like a mask mandate or whatnot. Mm-hmm. However, like I haven't seen it really enforced. Right. Um, I just think <clears> it's more, um, I have seen some negative interaction. Like the first day, I think it was the 20th, mm-hmm. this past Monday. Yeah. The first thing, like I went to a store that morning, had a big sign up, you know, it's please wear your mask, mm-hmm. whatever. I don't have a major issue with the mask deal. Like, you know, I'm not going to say yes, wear it or no, not wear it, whatever. But like if, if this place of business has asked me to wear it, like I just don't really have a big deal with it. So right. anyway, first thing I walk in, and this dude has an attitude with the people there immediately oh, at four thirty in the morning, and I'm just like, "Hey, man!" I said, "It's not their rule, right. you know. It's not their rule. Don't take it out on the girls here working at the counter. Just, just chill out. Either, either just leave or wear it or just whatever." And uh, you know, so just dealing with that kind of thing, I hate that for for all you people that work in the public and having to deal with this. I'm sorry, regardless of your stance, if you're uh, against it, if you're for it, you know, whatever. I'm so sorry that you have to deal with that because we know you didn't make the policy, and I've seen it personally. So I know there's no telling how many listeners are going to be affected by this. I know there's been bartenders, I know there's been servers and people at restaurants that I've had conversations with, and so for what it's worth. God bless you, like, for all the assholes you're having to deal with and different things. And, like, it's not up to you to fight everybody's battles and all this stuff. But I apologize for getting distracted. But, no, I don't know the exact numbers. Um, but I just know that it's definitely been an uptick. And it has been an uptick also at my work. At my, oh. my work, it's been, like, uh, I want to say, like, 11 cases total now oh. since, like, this started. Like, 11 in July oh. since it first started. Oh, my and, gosh. Um, you know, so now that being said, like my, my work is going above and beyond and doing what they can do to prevent spread. There are facial coverings. Uh, I hate to say mandated cause they don't like to use that word, but they're just, they're really asking, look, please do this. That's right. Yeah. That we really strongly suggest without mandating, if you're within six feet of, of other people, you know, wear a facial covering or a mask, whatever. And let, let's face it, like to me, it's not too much to ask. I realize why they're doing it and, yeah. and I appreciate that, you know, so they're, they're still cleaning the locker rooms and sanitizing and so on and so on. And really, for the amount of people we got, it's still really low. It's just, you know, and, and, and an increase since this is all began. But um, so those numbers are that. But, like, they're still going above and beyond. And I think they're we're controlling it best we can, you know, whatnot. And, and everybody's not going crazy. Everybody's still using common sense. And, and uh, so I'm seeing that, discussions and whatnot. But I would say the fear has lessened from what I have seen. Uh, or or I'll say the people that I'm around or that yeah. I talk to, the fear is less than some, but others I've seen it spike. Or I would say right. the media, you know, with their push and everything. But to me, um, I think we might have seen these numbers earlier if everything hadn't got shut down and we might be past it. I don't know. What's your concept on that? You know, this is a tough one for me because I feel like, you know, you saw in other countries where it was really shut down and really kept, you know, tight and and buttoned up that um (laughs) sorry 
hobo has joined us he's on the he's on the table and he's just cleaning himself right in front of us yeah and he just like hung out in my lap the whole time i was thinking and doing like just talking then and it was so funny it was hilarious he was like he like dug his claws into me and he bit me he <laughs> did just he was real like, playfully it was he was so like funny. licking and biting Derek, <laughs> which he yeah mm-hmm. he wants he likes the negative attention it's hilarious and just the look on his face he's just like yeah so what i'm doing this i <laughs> i am part of the podcast the worst the worst you little mascot you so funny um but you know i i have a lot of mixed feelings about everything um mm-hmm. i'm not sure what the right answer was some places did it one way other places did it another i know tennessee has been very very lax um and about the masks like i i personally i don't have a problem wearing one in but you know i, I think the people who are just choosing to wear them just to not wear them it's kind of like really like is it that worth fighting that much now my mom she um, is a severe asthmatic. Um, now, and this is somebody who hikes mountains, who runs, all of those kinds of things. Um, and she still, her, she, she exercises, which they tell you, like, you know, try your best, increase your lung capacity, whatever. And she still has really severe problems. And so when she wears a mask, it automatically triggers an attack for her. Um, makes her feel closed in not even makes her feel closed in what happens is is because her mouth is covered and her nose is covered her airflow is restricted Mm -hmm. and and you know i've seen a lot of like doctors doing these things and nurses doing these things on facebook where they video themselves sitting there with a mask on checking their oxygen levels and i'm like okay but why don't you get up and walk around why don't you get up and do some heavy lifting Okay, and and then the other thing that I hate is I see some people with asthma also being like, well, I can wear a mask. And I'm like, uh, asthma is not one size fits all, people. No, like, definitely There not. are some people with very severe, and my mom is one of them. She has very severe asthma. I used to suffer from asthma <clears throat> years ago when I was small, prom- probably till about age 12. And well, It and, was horrible. Well, and the thing with hers is, is like, you know, um, we've always owned like rental or my parents have always owned rental units and things. And so she, and I remember as a kid, she would try to wear a mask when she was painting and she, she would be like, I can't do it. She was like, I'll just have to breathe it in. She said, because she, within minute, it would be like a minute and a half and she's having an asthma attack. Um, when we're outside in the winter time, she like, she goes cross country skiing all the time and she'll wear face masks because it'll be like, you know, 25 degrees. Exactly. And with within the first five minutes, she's having to stop and take her inhaler because she can't breathe. And so, you know, I see, I really hate seeing the people who are saying, especially with, because I'm like, especially some of my friends and things who are like more on the liberal side, which I consider myself socially liberal for the most part. I'm like, what shouldn't you of all people be some of the ones that that appreciate and recognize that like medical conditions are not one size fits all like just because somebody else can and has asthma doesn't mean that not like i literally have seen it my whole life with my mom Mm -hmm. she can be sitting somewhere and just anything can trigger an asthma attack for her and so she can't wear a mask Otherwise, she will have an asthma attack, and her asthma attacks still to this day are super severe. So I'm like, you know, and a lot of people have been really hateful to her, and I I told her, I was like, you just can't comment or look at anything on Facebook because people are not, people are very divided on this issue, and I was like, 
Yeah, if you are somebody who's like purposely choosing not to wear one and get into fights with people about it, you're kind of an asshole. It's you ridiculous. Know? And I remember having asthma attacks at a young age. Yeah. And as a kid, you know, you're just kind of like, I don't, I don't know, you're just dealing with it or whatever. I think it would probably terrify me as an adult. Oh, man. She, it, it is very, you know, we've been in situations too where like, her inhaler's been out or she didn't realize it was low or, yep. mm-hmm. you know, it's and a I really remember scary, that too. it's a very I scary sure thing. And so for her, she's like, she's very, she's very upfront. Like she'll go into the store and she'll say, um, they'll be like, you have to wear a mask. And she'll be like, I'm medically exempt because in the fine print of all the CDC guidelines, even the mask mandate, it says, if you, if you are, right, you can't because of this, you're not required to. Mm-hmm. And people get very, so on the, on the offhand, I think people, because they are so defensive because people have been getting ugly with them about mm-hmm. asking them, they get really ugly with Just her. Just what I mentioned. Right. And, and they get ugly with her and they're like, well, somebody's going to have to walk around and shop with you. And she's like, I'm not going to do that. She's like, I've got gloves. I've got everything else. She's like, I just physically cannot wear a mask. And so it's been really hard for her because of how the stigma around it, like, cause like people see you not wearing a mask and they automatically are like, that person's an asshole and doesn't care about anybody else. Mm-hmm. Now I will say, I, I have seen a lot of things and I've seen a lot of things from my friends that say like about, you know, how you care about people, like if you're wearing a mask or not. And I don't necessarily agree with that. Because you've been directly directly affected by right. knowing that's not the case. Like, I do not think that you're, like, you're either a kind person or you're unkind. True, yeah. And I do not necessarily believe that, like, wearing a mask is the number one um, indicator of, like, Absolutely you being not. a kind person or not. Absolutely not. Now, how you treat other people is absolutely so if you're not wearing a mask and you're throwing a fit and you're being ugly to hostesses and bartenders and people Mm -hmm. who are working then yeah you're an asshole you know yeah Yeah. being an asshole makes you an asshole not a mask exactly (laughs) so it's kind of like this it's it's tough because i don't know i feel like my opinion is so different because I have somebody in my life who is affected by it. And, and it's such a tough position because she's like, I shouldn't have to explain my medical condition to everybody. I and agree. the problem is, is you got all these fucking people on Facebook who are making these videos like, oh, well, I have asthma and I can wear a mask. And you're like, not everybody has the same severity of asthma. No, that's Stop true. being a fucking dick. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I feel really bad for her because she's like, I just can't, I can't go anywhere because it's either have to explain to everybody, pull out my medical note, explain the situation, have somebody follow me around the store and and pick out my things for me. She said, I can't do this. Like, I can't go out and and live my life. And a lot of people, when you say that, the whole live my life thing, people are like, oh, well, that's so selfish. And I'm sorry, it's not, because, like, the world is continuing, albeit slowly, it is continuing to spin, and there are things that have to be done. And it's just, you know, it, it makes me really sad. And and I just, I feel like my perspective on all of this is so, I feel so back and forth on it because I see one side and then I see the other. And it's just, it's a very complicated climate that we live in right now because, yeah, it just is. So what you said just then, like back and forth or whatever. So I don't have a stance on it particularly. I'm right. just like, if you want to wear it, wear it. If you don't, don't. 
I agree. I don't think it makes you an asshole because you don't or whatever. Right. I am very glad. I hate it for your mother, but I'm glad that we have a discussion like this happening because we know someone affected that would maybe have a stance this way on it. And just because of medical issues can't. And it's like, I agree with what she said. She shouldn't have to explain it. Mm -mm. So like if I see somebody wearing a mask, I don't judge them and say, oh, sheep. Or like whatever right. else, or like you know, fear, fear monger, or right. whatever. Or like, if I don't wear one, like, or people not wearing one, like, I just don't care. Make your own assessment right. and do what you feel should do. Like, the the judgments and the always got going back and forth, and like you said, the um, well, I guess judgment's just the main word. Like the assumption that's yes. the word I'm looking for. The assumption of this and that is what is just so ridiculous because we're still. And that we're just still divided on we so are. many things and so many oh, assets man, of different yeah. things. It's just, it's just, it's terrible because we cannot find any kind of, or there's, there's just not unity seems like to be anywhere. And I just don't think anybody should have to sit there and explain themselves or their position or their medical position or their religious belief or their libertarian belief, whatever it may be. Right. It's ridiculous. Well, and you know, here's, here's what has bothered me about this entire situation I, I feel like here's the reality is most people will get COVID. Okay. Whether they know it or not. Most because people, a lot are asymptomatic because a lot are asymptomatic. So most people will get COVID by, by this time next year, most people in a household, probably one person per household will have had it or come into contact with it or been asymptomatic or had the antibodies mm-hmm. regardless if they know. That's okay? true. And and I've heard I've heard like people high up it, say that. Exactly. Uh-huh. So most people will have it. The problem is is because we have attached um your level of humanity to how you conduct your how how yep. people have conducted themselves the last 6 months. There's a lot of shame attached with a positive test. So I know a lot of people that have been like very outspoken about and very and sh- into shaming others on this who have gotten it. Well, and it's like you said before we went on air, like some people's taking precautions, like yep. extreme precautions. And still get it. Not di- being disrespectful to them saying extreme precautions, but still get it. And still get it. And then and then I have some people, and then like it feels like too, like I've seen a lot of people who have gotten it and then they like feel like that they have to come out and like make this statement Explain, about yep. it. And whenever I watch these of some of my friends that have done this, there there's a lot of shame attached to their statements. Sad. Because they feel bad and of course you do. You feel bad because you don't ever want to think that maybe you like cause somebody to get sick and and whatever. And it's really sad that that's what that people are feeling like they have to like come out and make a statement about it um, because it is so novel and it is so foreign. And so it's just this really interesting environment because I guarantee in six months, it people, most people will have had it or, or gotten it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like uh, six months passed. Yeah. Like there's been a lot of people that had there's it that weren't sure. That you and I discussed it like people that that were sick or whatever, went to get tests, negative for the flu, did not know what was going on with them. Uh And they were sick for weeks, maybe, you know, Uh a month or maybe Uh it was three days, but 
and and that's the thing about this is it seems to be all over the place the symptoms the non-symptoms the how different people are affected by it right so much we don't know like what so you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. and so it it's really that's been the most interesting thing to see unfold and I know when I got diagnosed with Lyme disease on the very first day I didn't have the only thing I had was I had a very severe fever and for a second, I was like, oh, my God, did I get COVID? And I was immediately, I immediately was like, I can't tell anyone mm-hmm. because of the stigma involved with it. I was like, this is crazy. And I didn't have COVID. I had Lyme disease. Um, but it was just really crazy how I automatically was like, oh, I couldn't tell anyone because just of how people are there. If you get it, people are like, well, that person is, they were being irresponsible. Mm-hmm. The assumptions. The there. assumption is there. And that's really sad because. So, so weird. Because I know other, and here's the thing. A lot of people have to go back to work. Okay. That, yeah, that's absolutely true. People have to go back to work. Uh, people have to have other people watch their kids. You have to interact with people. And, and those who were fortunate, like myself, I was, I'm fortunate enough to be able to be home most of the time. So I try to be home as much as I can. I only go out when I need to, but it's still, you're like, you know, there's some people who can't, who can't have that. Greer, he's an essential worker. He's out every day. And he's out in this heat right now as well. I thought about that on the way here. I thought, God, I wonder what all he's been dealing with. Man. And you know, people have been pretty good. Like they have to go into people's houses to do part of the, he's a install tech for um, like HVAC and which is uh, air conditioning. And right now is the worst time to be in that business, but the best time. It is the best time because you know, and he, he really loves what he does Mm -hmm. and he enjoys it. Every day is a little different. Um, And they wear masks and they wear boots on their shoes and they mm-hmm. practice distancing in, in the when they have to be in people's homes and he mostly he has a partner partners usually under the house and he's normally in the attic and so mm-hmm. he's bought he has fans that he takes with him and the company has given him like these um dry you know dry wick shirts or whatever that they can wear and that's good because it that's is awesome. so hot investing in the yes employee and they always they have like this big rule like take as many breaks as you need, get water when it's so hot like this, because it, it can be dangerous. So, you know, it's just, um, it's a very interesting time that we live in. And, um, it's scary because, you know, like older people really can be at risk for this, especially if you have, you know, a weakened immune system and underlying mm-hmm. conditions. And like the big thing right now all over the country is people are like, what are we going to do about school? Mm-hmm. So originally lots of discussion about that, right lots now. of discussion. So, um, like originally the opening date for like Gibson Madison County schools was going to be August 3rd. Mm-hmm. They have now pushed it back to the last I heard, like in the last two days, um, it's going to be the 17th. August 3rd is Dyer County. And they are, um, it's just, it's really tough because, some schools are trying to do that. They're, they're giving parents the option, like you can homeschool your kid. We just need to know mm-hmm. you can bring your kid to school. So parents are really like faced with this hard thing. Most most people in the United States today, both parents work. Absolutely, okay? it takes two incomes. It takes two incomes. Um, they've got their kids in after school programs, especially in Gibson County. You have most children who are on free and reduced breakfast and lunch. Okay. Or completely free meals all day. And you know, that's, Um, that's going to rise too. And that's going to rise too. Mm -hmm. 
the after school programs are getting harder and harder for people to get into. And a lot of schools are like, okay, we're going to do Friday is going to be a virtual day. But then you have a lot of people in rural communities who do not have access to computers or tablets or even internet, right? Then most schools are letting out, they're starting earlier and they're letting out at 2.30. Um, most people can't, what are they supposed to do? Take a late lunch to go pick up their kid and then what, bring them to work? That's right. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, so there's this problem. This has just broken my heart too because you see a lot of people who are like, we do not need to open schools. And then you have parents who are like, well, financially, I need to be able to take my kid to school. And also, mentally. Once again, more division. More division. And here's my thing. is like children need interaction. And this is, this is really like, this has been on my heart. Like since we closed schools after spring break, this has been on my heart. A lot of kids, for them, going to school and who they see at school like, is the only positive attention that they receive in their life. That's true. And that's something that no one really thinks about. No. And, you know, like, it could be, like, and I remember, like, every school that I went to, I had just amazing staff members, amazing um, educators, people who, like, the lunch lady, you know, and, like, people don't give, I'm sorry, we need to give a lot more love to lunch ladies because, they see your kids every day. They see, see who who's not got money. Yep, and they custodial see, workers they and all see, those people, yeah. Some of the people who always checked in on me or took care of me was was our janitors, our custodial workers, and the lunch ladies. They were always like, are you okay, baby? Something I want to add to that is I, I won't say any names, but someone who is who I work with, mm-hmm. kids go to private school. Mm-hmm. And so they were uh, they were talking about, you know, voting on school and this and that. Well, what they've been out, they paid the teachers and did not pay the custodial <gasps> and did not pay the, the lunch people and stuff. Yeah. No shit. Yeah, he, he told me that, and he said that the parents said— We're upset. Our money never stopped. Their money doesn't stop. That's right. And they got them their money. <gasps> Thank God. Oh, that just made me so mad. Oh, my God. Yeah, I knew it—, it when they said it, I was like, I've got to say this to December. I, did, I wasn't yes. trying to upset you, but like, I no. just wanted you to know no. because. The, You'll have like, to tell me for off what air you what school that was. So what you mentioned, like, I, I remember those interactions too uh, from when I went to school. Like the janitor, we had a janitor that was, uh, uh, that was deaf. Yeah. And so, but he could still communicate and we knew his isms and whatnot. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes, you know, he would just look at you with just common sense. He'd be like. Like, like, no, you can't walk there. He was yeah. looking out for us. Right. Or he would say, like, you know, like, construction going on. We just learned these things from yep. being there. And he was so nice. And then he ended up being my uh, my aunt's neighbor Aww. and stuff. So, I mean, I got to see him see, all the time. Yeah. But he loved kids. Yes. And, uh, you know, you mentioned, like, lunch ladies and stuff. Yeah, you get to know these people, you know, Miss Whoever or Mr. Whatever on, the, on a regular basis. And then sometimes you go up there, you know, and you're like, I really like these mashed potatoes. And they're like. Big big scoop yeah, for you, you know, right. or whatever, that's and that's right. what. So, so I agree. I'm glad you said that, and uh, so that just kind of brought what I wanted to say. But like, why? What system? What? What kind of heart do you have when you pay the educators who weren't there doing their jobs, but uh-huh. you know, a lot of those people were still uh, keeping the floors or cleaning the classrooms or whatever, yep. and you decide not to pay them? Oh, I that what? that makes me so that's mad. low that's that is low. very low because those those people are just as important absolutely and kudos to the parents that stood up and said yes. our money never stopped to Seriously. support it 
you're going to support Thank those you. workers. Yeah, Thank you. Th- that's a, that's what I, that is a good like parent community to be able to step up and be like, no, 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 that's fucked up. Number one. Absolutely. Yeah. Now this whole thing is just like, I just, those kids, the kids who get ignored at home or aren't taken, you know, I know teachers who every morning they, they get their class, they become their babies. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. You know, you hear that a lot, especially Mm -hmm. now middle school and high school. There's less like, physical parenting involved and most of those teachers is more like emotional but a lot of elementary school teachers especially in some of these rural communities it's like every morning they they go in a little bit early because they know so-and-so is coming in and they fix their hair for them every morning that's true they brush their hair they make sure that they have clean clothes or they see that they don't have clean clothes or they see that that child has not had a bath in Mm -hmm. how many days for whatever reason now and i'm not saying like oh all these parents are pieces of shit these parents could be having uh, some yeah. serious emotional problems. These parents could be working three jobs. Mm-hmm. These parents could be just stretched beyond their means. It could be an elderly grandparent mm-hmm. that's trying their best to take care of these kids and just can't. Or, you know, there's a lot of reasons why, but for most, for not most, but for a lot of children, maybe they're not super studious at school, but going to school is their only amount of normalcy that's right and also with what we've both talked about division especially myself i've mentioned it a couple times i knew you would appreciate that kind of story about unity yes and banding together for you know whether it's private school public school whatever is like that's what we need to learn from this and see from this is like nobody's better than anybody that's exactly right. nobody gets out alive like in the grand scheme of things and uh -uh. we should be trying to encourage and help one another absolutely And and so i told him i said man I want you to know that is fantastic that you did that, that, really that y'all is. stood up and you demanded it. And you were like, we're not going to stand for... And they we're did. They got, them their, they got them there. All their uh, back pay was restored. Oh, they even, they back paid them too. See? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just think, I just think that it's, uh, especially in a private school setting, like really, like exactly. you're not, like really everybody... And you know that tuition is not mm. cheap. No! And I don't know anything about the school or... Or anything because it's in another state. Mm-hmm. But once again, you know it's not cheap if it's a private school. And that's right. And they're expecting, you know, these. Uh, but I'm glad that they're involved like that and that this parent was involved enough to be informed. Yes. To say, whoa, 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 what? No, that's not acceptable. No, it's not acceptable at all. Because, I mean, those. Are, and here's the other thing is, uh, like, for the people or the administrators who made that decision. Like, what would those kids say? Because let me tell you something. Very selfish. The, the the covenant between, like, kids and the custodians and the lunch ladies and the nur- and all those people, like, kids love, like, I, I remember Willie and Percy fondly and on Mr. Tolliver and all of those people who were not teachers but who were a staff at my school. Yep. And, like, if something like that would have happened when I was in high school and the kids found out, and I mean, I went to a public school, but you know, we would have been in like uproar because we love them. Like they're the ones who look out for us. They're the ones who are like, Hey, what's really going on here? Or if you get in trouble, they were the ones that were like, tell me what's going on. Like we need to figure, you know, like they always looked out for us and you know, there's some kids who never interact with them, but but I know for myself and my friend group, mm-hmm. we loved. And I've we had that personal interaction them. as well, you know, with uh, helpers in the school like that. So 
to anyone who may be that kind of worker that is a listener, just know or once again. Or as a family member who... Ha- absolutely, yep. absolutely. Yeah. Just know that Derek and December appreciate you. Absolutely. And we are very thankful for your position. Keep doing what you do because you're bringing joy to a lot of people and you may not even realize how much. And just back to like some kids, like, you know, uh, when they go to school, that's the only po- that's the only positive attention that they get. Those are the some for some kids. Mm-hmm. That is the only that's positive interaction in their day mm-hmm. is the people at school. And there's some about I feel like I feel like custodians and and cafeteria um, you know workers. I feel like they know. I feel like they can sense that in kids, and they they are just always extra kind and extra gracious. Like. That's looking, my that's you know, my interaction with them. Yep, that's my experience. And looking back, like at all of the ones I had, and you know, because there's some kids who just get along better with teachers or whatever. But if I think about like my crew of misfits and stuff, like <laughs> I just feel like, you know, the custodians and all those people just like they're for the underdogs. And I will also say that I would say things that are rooted within me now are because of those kind of interactions. Like you don't walk on a mop floor. No, Regardless uh-uh. of where you're at, <laughs> if someone's sweeping, you go you go mm-hmm. to hell outside and around the building before you walk through that trash pile or whatever. It's just simple values. Mm-hmm. It's it's common decency and respect. And so, like even now, I'll stop somebody. Oh, well, well, you know that person's mopping there. Just like mop. go around yep. or whatever. You know, because I don't want somebody mop. You know, walking on my mop floor. Mm-hmm. You know, if I come in your house and you're like, I just mopped. Like I'd stand at the door for twenty minutes. I wouldn't care. Because mm-hmm. I'm not going to walk on your mop floor. Exactly. So it teaches values and it teaches respect to kids also. It does. It absolutely does. Yeah, I just, it's a... Man. You know, that's something I love about what we do. Is like, <laughs> that was totally unplanned, but that needed to be said. Absolutely. I think so, because those people, like, you know, obviously you, you do see a lot of teachers on, on social media right now talking about all the COVID stuff and their opinions on things, and, and I'm really glad that you you brought that up about, about mm-hmm. you know, that school not paying them, and then the parents being like, oh, whoa. Yeah, not going to happen. Here, uh-huh. yeah. yeah, we never stopped paying, so why would you stop paying them? Yeah. Nothing changed. Just yes. they made that decision and didn't inform them about it. Yes. And then when they yes. found out, they were like, they put the hammer down. So I'm, that's great. I'm really glad about that because mm-hmm. we need to see that we need more of that. And I'm sure that there's been lots of places, lots of private schools that that's happened. And hopefully most other private schools didn't even think twice and was like, yeah, that's our staff. Yeah, this is you a know? time like to when you really uh, reach down with humanity and you, you, you try to be even more kind. Exactly. You know. Exactly. Because so many effect, uh, people are affected so many different ways. But you've, you've, you've definitely made some good examples, like especially about going back to school mm-hmm. and those interactions and what those kids might have. And I've remembered certain conversations like that, mm-hmm. you know, like, like say I'd be out for two weeks or something for Christmas. You're like, oh man, I hated to come back to school. There was always some kids were like, I was ready to come back to school. Yes. You know, yep. because they feel more love and appreciation at school and more maybe a sense of family or however than they do at home. And they're, and school is their escape. It's not the same for everyone. Well, and you know, here's the thing is like, especially, okay, middle school and high schoolers, uh, they can have a little bit more freedom to go see their friends or figure out a way to have interactions or have not, I don't want to say better coping mechanisms, but sure. like go in their room and turn on the music and, or dive into a book or whatever. Not that their situation's any better, but I'm just really concerned. Um, 
about our elementary age children, the ones who, who really cling to the normalcy that school brings. I agree. Um, and also for just all children in general, there are most kids, they love their family. They love their parents, but like, Kids need to be around other kids. Yeah, that's right. Socializing. Socialize and Mm -hmm. interact, and they thrive on that. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very interested to see what this gap that we've never had ever before, Mm -hmm. ever Mm -hmm. in the the recent history of this, I'm interested to see what this gap is going to have on on that elementary age group um, long term. I've thought about that too. And if it, especially if this continues, like what is that going to do? And now if we do have to go more virtually, like how are we going to do that for, and this is something I would have never thought about had I not moved to rural West Tennessee. I know for myself, like, you know, our internet's kind of expensive for what we get and we run out and then our speeds are cut down for, you know, until it refreshes. Right. So, like, what about the other kids who don't have access to that, don't have iPads, yet I know families personally who, well, not personally, but I know families who, like, all, like, the parent has an iPhone, so the kids, all the kids have to take turns, you know, this last spring, oops, this last spring had to all take turns doing their schoolwork on an iPhone. Mm. So, what are we going to do? What is the plan? And I'm, and I know... You know, shout out to teachers and administration. You guys are trying really hard to figure out how to make this work. I cannot imagine being in your position right now. But it begs the question of like, what are we going to do long term if it does have to be virtual? Are we going to have, are we going to go back to like these smaller, like (sighs) these smaller groups of, you know, rural kids, we all round them up on a bus and they go to one person's house who does have internet who who's gonna be home to watch these kids i don't know and for like for all the as long as school's been out it's been like an endless summer if you will that's kind of slowly maybe coming to an end in some places or some counties and so how are they going to adjust to get back into the swing of things if you will to where they you know begin to learn again here's i have not a prediction but i have like a a possibility that I could see happening, especially in our rural communities. If this does not clear up or get better or help people resume whatever is the new normal in the next like two years, like long term, what does this look like? You know, I can see, especially like with uh, some people not even being able to have jobs anymore, I can kind of see, especially the rural communities going back to like more of a communal style living where okay we are bringing our grandparents or aunt and uncles or uh, people who are unemployed within our family they're going to live with us they're going to watch the kids they're going to help them do school because because the other because most parents have to work would you you already kind of see that a little bit in our area but i think that you're going to start to see it more um possibly especially like you know people still don't have jobs some people still can't go back to work. Some people's oh, yeah. workforce still millions unemployed on unemployment. A lot of people on, um, you know, assistant and and people who are like, I don't even know, like, we only have two people hired back, you know. So it's gonna be very interesting to see how if this is longer term, even longer term, like 
the next few years are shaped by this. What does that mean? Obviously, economically, but right. socially, education, the family structure. And speaking of unemployment right now, the national unemployment rate is 11%. Really? God. Yeah. That's, uh, that's a lot. That is a lot. That's a lot of people. That's, that's you know. It doesn't have a millions, uh, or on this side, it doesn't have a 4.8. It rose by 4.8 million in June alone. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. So, you you know, I'm knowing, I'm knowing people that's affected by this. I talked to a guy yesterday. I had no idea. I was just talking to him, and he's like, well, you know, I lost my job. And I was yeah. like, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. You know, and he's like, yeah, man. He's like, they cut me to one day a week. You know, and like just in the drive here, I've yeah. seen three businesses that yep. are not there anymore. Yep. Just yep. in the drive here. A lot of stuff is closed down. I, I think that they're going to, I think I that. that they're going to have to do another stimulus check. I really do. I think, I think we should, I think we should do another stimulus check. Um, and I think that uh, we, we should do another stimulus check. I, I just, I know it's in talks, but I, I don't think they've come to an exact agreement or voting on it today or something. Maybe I saw in the news early I this morning so. or yesterday or something. But, uh, you know, I don't know. I know a lot of people that needed it. Yeah. I'd say everybody needs it to some degree. Yeah. But, like, yes. some people were like, I'm so glad now I can, you know, pay my house payment or my car payment. And then other people were like, I'm buying a big stereo or something. You right. know, it's like, what? Which, that's, I mean, that is the purpose of it is, <laughs> yeah. is to help people and uh-huh. and stimulate the economy for, mm-hmm. for those. So that is, I can tell you as a small business owner, I kind of hope that there's another one, not only for my sake, but so that people feel comfortable to be like, oh, well, I'll buy, I can buy some, you know, I'm going to splurge. I'm going to treat uh-huh. myself. So yep. I'm kind of holding, I'm like, man, that would be really great for me. And it would, <laughs> it would be really great for a lot of people, you know? So it's a tough, this COVID is really, uh, it well, seems like every month. Let me ask you this. So this is, we, we haven't, we've, we get into the lingo and we say, you know, pandemic or whatever this, do you feel it is a genuine pandemic? I mean, yes. I think by technical standards, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that. I guess what I mean is, do you feel it's a manufactured pandemic, or is it overblown, anything like that? I don't think, I, hmm, I don't think it's overblown. I do think that it is something that we really, uh, we don't know a lot about. That's what I was going to say. I feel like if it is a true pandemic or why they're calling it a pandemic is because they don't understand everything about it. So they're just like pandemic. Well, I think, I think by technical, by technicality, by the amount of people that were affected Uh all, all over the world, I do think in the amount of deaths, I, I do think that it is by technicality, a pandemic. Mm-hmm. I think that the way that we were all educated growing up when we learned about things like the Spanish flu or the uh-huh. or the bubonic plague or, plague, or yeah. you know things like that, I think that we have this idea of what that means, and it seems very like medieval and you know dead bodies on the street. And that's not necessarily what we are seeing. And so in our mind, we're like, well, it's not a plague or it's not a pandemic. Um, but I think by a technical, you know, technically, I think it 
it absolutely is. And the reason um, I bring it up is like a lot of people are like, it's not a pandemic. It's not a pandemic. Right. It's not a pandemic. And I mean, these are, these are just, I'm, I won't even go there. I'm just going to say, I've heard that a lot. So by definition, pandemic is prevalent over a whole country or the world. Yes. Seems like so a pandemic. It seems like a pandemic. <laughs> well, and here's the other thing is a lot of people are comparing it to the flu, which mm-hmm. I even have in some ways compared it to the flu. Well, the news compared it to the, the flu a lot of times. The news compared it to the flu a lot of times. Flu-like symptoms, blah, the, blah, blah. The difference, I think, is like usually every flu season, I maybe know one person that gets the flu. Right. But like I know a lot of people... I know a lot of people who have gotten COVID. I do now. I do now. When we first started talking, when we I was first, like, uh. when when we first started talking about this back in what March? Yes. When we first started talking about it back in March, you know, and I think, and maybe that's wrong, but I think for myself and actually a lot of people listening in our minds, you kind of, you kind of put the severity of it at. Uh, well, true. do I know anybody who has it? Mm-hmm. How many people do I know? And that's kind of how you measure the severity. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the second wave came, and I think a lot of us know a lot of people who've gotten it. Well, and and I'll be honest too, just just to you know, to just throw this out there is when I talked to you when we were going to podcast, and you said, "Oh my God, I may have COVID." I'll be honest, I was just like. Nah. You know, <laughs> like, right. I wasn't that concerned right. because of I know that you're never sick. I know right. you're always healthy and you're, you know, in my opinion, a pillar of health. However, when you told me you had Lyme's disease, yeah. I was like, oh my God. Then I freaked and I panicked. I'm like, kind of wish that I would have had. <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. I was like, oh my you're God. And, and then immediately, like, where I would say most of my information, I've done a little research on COVID, but. From even people I know it's had it, I've yeah. talked to them and they've, they've said this or they were asymptomatic. I've known uh, wide ranges of the spectrum. Same. But knowing about Lyme disease personally and from a good friend that had it, I was, I was panicking big time. Yeah. I was like, oh, God, December, no, that's not what I wanted to hear. Oh, no. And for me, I thought, like, at first, because I had a really bad fever, I was mm-hmm. like, is this it? And then I was like, you know, and, you know, I have to tell you the, um, like, Wednesday morning, of course, you know, I've very come from like very old fashioned we don't go to the doctor for a lot of stuff so like and i um, i hate going to the doctor too part of my health regimen if you will i drink a lot of vinegar i drink vinegar mm-hmm. we every talked day. about that yep, yep we talked sure about did. that mm-hmm. so you know i drink a lot of vinegar um and then also when i was like man whatever this is i'm gonna knock it out that like wednesday morning or maybe it was thursday morning i made myself a hottie toddy with this um with the maple um, with that whiskey that you brought me that one time, um, There's what no was tailor. it? It was, uh, oh my God, what brand is it? It was so good. It was the maple one that tastes like basically fireball, but maple. I remember, but turkey, I can't name it. It wasn't turkey head. It was, uh, oh my God. Anyway, you bought that for me and I was like, I think this would be perfect as the hottie toddy. <laughs> and, and it, it was. was. <laughs> yeah, I slept real good for That's about awesome. six hours. Um, but yeah, awesome. a little hottie toddy, a little vinegar, a little this, a little mm-hmm. that. But then it ended up not being those things at all. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's a crazy. Well, when you when you said that and like even coming today, I was like, 
Okay, so I was like preparing myself to yeah. see you like in blankets, I you know, know, and like house code and like, you know, hair kind of off to the side. I was like, I hope she feels all right. I was like, oh my God. Like I was, I was just worried, yeah. you know, but like your color's there, like you seem good. Uh, you know, you did mention about some soreness and this and that, but like you look great, you well, know, but I was you. concerned, like I was going to see you kind of green looking. And well, like, you know, bleh. I did. I was like, I was like. Because it's horrible. Well, part of. Again, part of that like kind of like old fashioned uh-huh. mindset of like t- when you're sick or you don't feel well. Part of my thing is like it's really easy to feel worse when you stay in your pajamas mm-hmm. and you don't fix your hair. And and today because I was I was I'm not gonna lie I was very tired this morning. I was like oh he wouldn't care if I was just in my pajamas. And I was like you know what I was like I think it would be good for me to put on some real clothes put on a real pair of pants, fix my hair because because how you feel sometimes how you look can affect it can how you feel. It, That's it does. True. That's true. And so if you I notice and I've done this and my mom my mom taught this to me when I was, you know, growing up, sometimes when you don't feel your best mentally, a lot of it too is it's a, it's mental. Mm-hmm. When you don't feel your best mentally, sometimes you just need to put on a little bit of makeup, put on some clean clothes, wash your face, you know, uh, have a cup of coffee and, and you feel a little bit, it doesn't cure you, but you do feel better. And so that's something that I've been trying to do. And it's hard too, because like I've been outside, like I was telling you, I've been outside a lot working in the barn. And so, you know, you're wearing like, you know, workout clothes, essentially workout clothes and Mm -hmm. your hair's up and stuff. And, And I've been like that a lot lately being outside working in the barn. And so like any opportunity I get, I'm like, okay, Sweat this out. Let's, you know, right. <laughs> let's, let's clean up. Let's put on some mm-hmm. real, some real clothes. Some, you know, mm-hmm. not just outside clothes, essentially. When that's also something that a lot of, uh, I think the article I read was in a, a retired medical professional, like a doctor. He was talking about COVID specifically, and he was talking about if you get this, like obviously, like stay away. Right. You know, like if you can, you know, be alone as much as possible. Um, but he was talking about try to do as many normal things as you can. Like don't take fever reducers, fight through the fever, drink plenty of fluids, drink full, uh, like Gatorade, like no zero, like get all the Gatorade, like make sure you hydrate and basically kind of let it run its course, which you do hear people saying that and, and, uh, about, about a lot of sickness, but, um, this was something, and I want to say he had had it. If yeah. I'm not mistaken, he had also had it, and he's obviously he's he's elderly. He's like mid seventies, if I remember right. Yeah. I wish I could think of his name. I should have wrote it down. I'm sorry, but um, just a good article, you know. And once again, his perspective, his opinion, and whatnot. But I have heard that probably ten times from other people, and like testimonials on Facebook, YouTube, different things on the news. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, that's that's not a cure. Or just whatever, but it's just someone's perspective. Hey, this helped me. Maybe it'll help you. You know. And you know, I somebody was telling me that they um, like in kids, just with any sickness, not just this. They they advise you to not like sweat out fevers. But I will tell you what, you know, we did that when I was a kid, and and the reason why they tell people not to is because oh well, then you you risk your kid or yourself dehydrating. Mm-hmm. The problem is. I really feel like <clears throat> sweating out a fever, like making yourself sweat out a fever 
really is one of the most effective ways when you're sick. Now, I am not a doctor. Don't take, like, you can't take my medical advice. But I just know personally, the few times that I am sick, if I feel myself have a little bit of fever, you best believe that I'm getting in that shower blazing hot i'm getting out i'm putting socks three layers of pants on sweatshirts wrapping myself up and going to bed and i wake up the next day feeling multitudes better Mm -hmm. and that's your personal experience and that's my personal experience we've done it that way since i was a kid Mm -hmm. obviously you need to make sure that you are replacing that sodium and potassium Mm -hmm. see that's a a one thing and you know the just in general when you're sick a lot of people will drink will drink Gatorade and things like that. <clears throat> but the one thing, the, what you've got to replace is your potassium mm-hmm. and your sodium. But mostly your potassium. And mm-hmm. so, you know, uh, a little bit of pickle juice actually goes a long way. Pickle juice is so good. And it's packed with potassium. I love pickles. Well, and that's the thing. I always tell people, if you ever wake up in the middle of the night with cramps, go get yourself some pickle juice. Because that's potassium is what you're lacking. Or you eat a banana. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know that. Um, but really, as long as you can keep yourself hydrated. <clears throat> and I think I always try to recommend to people Pedialyte sometimes over Gatorade. Because Gatorade's got a lot of sugars it in does. it. Which mm-hmm. if you are, if you have not been eating, you need it. Mm-hmm. You need anything that you can get for your body to burn. But I do think that like the whole sweating out of fever. I mean, people been doing it forever. And I, I, I personally think for myself... That's that's the way to go anytime you get sick because mm-hmm. and I've done that. Oh yeah, for I mean, sure. Just wrap up and just sweat it out. Well, you know? because if your body's your body's getting a fever for a reason, it's trying to kill it. Yeah, exactly. Your body temperature exactly. To kill it. So and that was in it. that article too. Yep. He was talking about that. So let your body do it. Help it. Yeah, you it's know? it's aiding your immune system to do right. what it's designed to do. Now I know it is dangerous in like little 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 children because. He yeah. said something about, like, don't let your fever get past 103, right. which I still thought was really high. Yeah. But he's like, don't let it don't let it go past 103. Right. You know. Right. And at that point, like, obviously, you know, but I'm, for myself personally, I will always sweat it out. I will always sweat out a fever. Yeah. Because yeah. that's just the, you know. That's just the way it works for you. Yeah. Or you know it works. Yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> and, so, and so do I. So, like I said, this was a physician. He was saying this. Once again, I'm not a, I have no right to give medical advice right. either. This is just uh, mine and December's perspective and uh, our personal experiences. And, and this guy, like I said, I, I can't even mention. I didn't even think about it. I just got caught up in the article. But uh, it was really good. And this was his, you know, professional opinion. And, and uh, he said that in there too. He's like, this may not work for everybody, but this is, this is what I've done yeah. and because I've got, had this and so on. So your, uh, your situation may be different. And everybody, that's what's, once again, I, I mentioned it again, is what's so weird about this is you have people that don't realize they even have it until they get a test. And the only reason they even get a test is because, like, maybe a family member right. or a friend or has it. Exactly, they're or they're at work. work. And then yeah. they're like, oh, I've got it, but they have not felt anything. Yeah. Or, like, at the most, like, I think you mentioned this earlier, is their sense of smell and taste is slightly off, is the only alarm. They're or like, they think that they're having, like, right. al- well, and, you know, the scary thing is, is, like, in the beginning they were like, Allergy symptoms are not symptoms of COVID. Well, I know people who just got tested randomly at work and they were like, I had no clue I was sick. They got positive. They were like, I thought I was just having allergies. Mm-hmm. So now it's like, I feel like it varies so much person to person. And I think that that's might be what 
is the scariest part of it. Mm-hmm. Is it just so widely varied? Yeah, so much uncertainty with it. It's not like you. It's not like a a defined thing that happens. Like you get diarrhea, right. then you start vomiting. You right. have a fever, right. and then you sweat. Like it's 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 like you say it's all over. It's all over the place. But I think that's a good little spot to pause and. Um, We'll wrap up our COVID segment, and then we're going to dive right into the next portion here in just a second. Hello, and welcome back from our quick little break. Sitting here with uh, Derek for another fabulous episode of Deep Talks with Derek. We just finished up our little segment. I say a little, and it was like an hour-long segment about COVID. We had a lot to say. We had a lot to say, Um, and we're going to have a lot to say with this next one, too. I'm going to let Derek kind of dive right into this next topic here. So the topic, I guess, is one of much discussion all over the news, all in the all in the media, and that is the arrest of Ghislaine Maxwell. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows about Jeffrey Epstein and all the controversy surrounding him, sex trafficker, pedophile, all these things, and supposedly... The, I think the general thesis is that this woman was his madam or pimp recruiter, however you'd want to say it, for all these grooming of these young girls for him. She has now been arrested. And the, the very odd thing about this is we know she's been arrested, but there's no coverage on it. Like nope. on the proceedings of anything, there's no – the lawyers, from my understanding, are keeping all this very hush-hush and, and have uh, – block the media of all these things and stuff. The woman is worth millions of dollars. Um, there's no, like, she doesn't have a job. No, <laughs> you know, like right. there's no uh, traceable form of income and all this stuff. So this is just very bizarre, once again, as if uh, his life and his wealth uh, is, like, untraceable and, like, is very bizarre as well. And uh, so, you know, just these kinds of things are... These people are obviously pure evil, in my opinion. Uh, I think that if we get any information, it's probably going to come out that they, you know, the general uh, idea is they are pure evil. But what's even more sinister is why are these people allowed to even exist, like to even be, to operate, to own stuff, to uh, possess such wealth? And everything that I'm reading, every all the research that I have done has led me to, I'm not saying that I believe this, I'm not saying that this is my, uh, like this is my final opinion or whatever, but it seems like everything's pointing in the direction of they are Mossad agents, or spies if you will, for Israeli government and have been funded to basically form these, this alliance of these powerful leaders uh, like Prince Andrew, you know, former presidents, uh, huge people in industry and all, to basically trap them to get these secrets of of our government and and other things, and then they pay them what they feel like it's worth, and at the same time, providing them with their carnal pleasures. It is a very deep rabbit hole. I was going to say, that is so far down, I have not heard any of it. Now, I'm sure a lot of people listening were like, I... What knew that part? I did not know that deep into the rabbit hole on that. Oh, it's it's it is crazy, and like it goes, um, like if you 
a lot of the people that's mentioned or that that are supposedly uh, she's mentioned or she's you know saying she's going to name names. She has videotapes of all these prestigious people and all that stuff. So that's what that's what she's saying. That's what she's saying from from what I understand is she's saying, look, like I've got the videotapes that he did have of all these people coming and going out of these houses because supposedly <laughs> he had video surveillance everywhere. Right. Because it was from the inception. I mean, obviously he was a sick, twisted pedophile. But, like, he had intentions. He got all these secrets, you know, from these people. He would basically blackmail them in order right. to get this intelligence for Mossad, which is Israeli intelligence, and they would use this information how they so fit. And and, really? and they profited off of it. So, like, it's crazy. Even going back to uh, Ghislaine Maxwell's dad was supposedly this Mossad agent. And, like, he died really? under mysterious circumstances and did all this stuff for, for uh, uh, Israeli intelligence and stuff. And, I mean, it is very bizarre. But it's like, like I said, do, do I believe it? I don't I don't know. But, I mean, like, it is it is fascinating to me the possibility of what all could, could be wrapped up in this and who all could be involved in this. That's insane. It's more insane than, than I can even name because there's so much, there's so well, much information there, like... Like, it even goes deep with some people connected that, okay, now, I'm not, I'm not going to get going too far on this, but just hear me out with this. So, like, some guy that's supposedly involved, I can't think of his name right off the bat, but but this is traceable, owns this these chains of pizza places mm -hmm. called, like, Hollywood Pizza or something. Yeah, the pe whole Pizzagate thing. Pizzagate thing. Yeah. And with, like, the order of whatever pizza you provide is what kind of kids you want. Like, whether you want a male, whether you want a female, whether it doesn't matter. It is bizarre to the whole 25th power of all this stuff, and it's like, oh, my God. There, so with everything, regardless if it's conspiracy theory or whatever, you have some kind of level of truth to different things, and the fact that his uh, suicide is just too convenient, uh, Epstein and different than that, it's, well, it's, it's wild. You know, those of us who are big, like, you know, um, 80s coming-of-age uh, film fans, you know... Uh, one, not Corey Haim, but Corey Fieldman uh -huh. for years has been saying, and it's just been written off as crazy. Yeah. For because years. he is kind of an odd kind of character, you he know. He is a little wild. Mm -hmm. But Corey has been saying for years talking about the pedophilia ring within, within Hollywood. Uh -huh. I mean forever and right now that's really getting a lot of exposure like with weinstein yes. and uh harvey weinstein and just different people like like more people um uh lately you had the guy i can't remember his name from the 70s show that was arrested oh yeah for um, um uh, what's his face the is guy his name that plays danny or does he play danny i don't I remember I but remember. he had the curly the short curly uh -huh, hair right, yeah him. so he got in trouble mm -hmm. um yeah and I it just, just seems to like there's more and more. There's more and more and more. And, you know, even... Oh, LaRon Jeremy in the porn industry. Yep. He was charged. Yep. Wait, who? LaRon Ron... Jeremy. Really? Yes, he was arrested and charged with multiple counts of rape and stuff. Really? Mm -hmm. well, like right after uh, the guy from that 70s show. You know, it's just... It's just... It's... All of this that's happening in specifically the entertainment industry... Right, mm-hmm. Is just very interesting, like how it's all unfolding. And I, I think I say this pretty much every single podcast, but like any time that there is a balance of power, there is abuse. I, I will stand by that. Whether that's like 
abuse of power sexually, uh, mentally, physically, whatever there is, there will always be that. And so it's not surprising to me that that's something that's being uncovered, but it is still, it's nonetheless, it will always be shocking because it's horrible. It's yeah, because like really it's not, terrible. Because we live these simple little um, blessed lives, if you will. Right. And so <laughs> we never, you know, we never encounter the people of the super rich or, or, or whatever. And I'll tell you something, this is off subject, but something I found very interesting at one time, the fact that people are worth so much money and things that will never, uh, know, like, you know, we buy shoes, we buy clothes, we buy groceries, whatever. I was looking at a Forbes magazine one time, like I was in the doctor's office years ago and I was like, oh, this is interesting. It was talking about stocks and different things, which I'm, it's Greek to me, but like still I, I was interested in it. And I was like, I'm just going to get a subscription to Forbes. Yeah. Okay. So I would say you, as well as many other people, probably look at a Sports Illustrated or Men's Health or Playboy or whatever, you know, at some point in time. And you see ads for Reebok and Adidas and Michael, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Nike or uh, Jordans, whatever it may be. So you go to Forbes and you open something like Forbes you don't see these advertisements in anything else and you just see this watch for example and it's a it's a Rapatule de Bois. I mean, I don't know. I'm just like making yeah, up something. Right. But you look at it. So you Google that name and you see that this watch is $350,000. There's right. advertisements for stuff like that in Forbes. So that's like, that's something I'm never going to encounter. I'm never going to see one of these watches in, right. the, in the flesh or whatever. So that's what fascinated me about Forbes. And uh, as my... I can't call it research. I was just kind of like, just like wow factor of, yeah. oh my God, the wealth that exists out there that you we know, don't know. That's about. what I mean, that mm. I did not know about. And so I'm just going through these things and it was, uh, it was several issues into it. I want to say it was like 2014, maybe something like that. I, I may be off on my dates, but that's just kind of what rings a bell. Maybe 2016, somewhere along in there that the duck dynasty franchise that year had made 400 million dollars yeah. that blew my mind because it's it, you see it here right. and you see the t-shirts and you hear right. people talking about it and you know different things and everybody thinks it's funny because it's like a hunter area you know whatever so everybody loves the robertsons and all but it's just like oh my god really they're bringing in that kind of income like, in one year that's that is mind-boggling it's a you know? stupid amount of money like I, mm -hmm. normal people like for me, when you hit that billion range, like Jeff Bezos money. Like, oh, speaking of him. Oh, God, I know. Just lately, like the past week or whatever, I saw yeah. his wealth increase like $40 billion, something yes. insane. Like $1 billion, $1 billion, $1 billion. is an almost unfathomable amount of money. Yeah, like for myself, definitely. For no, <laughs> for, for most that. people, oh my like God. the statistics on, or like when you break down one billion dollars, mm -hmm. like what that means, you could never spend one billion. You just no, no way. I mean, it is an insane oh, yeah. amount of money, and you know, uh, it's the whole. I am not somebody who, like, I don't think that we should uh, tell people what to do with their money. But I do think, like, 
I think we we are way, 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 way overly taxing our middle class. And I, I do think that we have to figure out some kind of like, I don't want to say redistribution of wealth because I don't necessarily believe in that. But like Jeff Bezos, Warren Buffett, those people could like single-handedly end like the money problem with COVID, like with one swipe, they could eliminate like whatever troubles or problems or, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that kind of money is so, they could give every person in the United States a thousand dollars and it wouldn't affect them. Now, do I feel like people with that kind of money should have to? Absolutely not. I, 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 but I do believe that we have to figure out something else. Like I don't think like s- those people getting tax cuts and government bailouts and all those kinds of things, that's a little wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're talking billions of dollars, that is that is money that we can't, that I, you just can't comprehend. Just like even saying this, right? So a billion dollars is 1,000 million. Yes, right. Okay, thank <laughs> you. I was hoping that, I was like, I hope he's pulling that up because that's that's 1,000 million. What? And and Jeff <laughs> Bezos in particular, yeah. So, okay, I kind of back to like the whole sex trafficking thing too. While all this is happening... There was all this stuff about Wayfair. Did you uh-huh. see? Oh, yeah. Now, yeah. here's what... That's wild, too. But now, here's, oh my God. here's what I was confused about. And Number one, I was like, so did anybody try to actually buy this to see? And, and this is why I think that entire thing is weird. I don't know if that was, like, planted. And I don't want to, like, say it's a conspiracy. But, like, number one, if you're trying to operate under the radar and all of a sudden people are now noticing this... Uh-huh. First of all, you would do you would do private, not public listings of those on your site, which any website you can do. You can send custom invoices for. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So like you would not make that just available. You know what I'm saying? Like I just felt like that was really odd and not not explained and people just didn't question it. And then I was like, some of the people that were talking about it, I was like, Well, why don't you just buy it and see what happens? Yeah, spend spend the money. <laughs> I, I probably, right? you know, obviously, maybe they would go to jail if they purchased you know, such. But but, but, but like you, you said, it's still there. But it's still there. So that's what was confusing to me. And then like there were names. So I was like, is this really real? And I, I just feel like it wouldn't operate so blatantly. Mm-hmm. But you know, sex trafficking is comes in many different forms. Like a, a lot of people think it's just one big crazy. Epstein ring, the uh-huh. island, all of this, uh-huh. but like sex trafficking happens in a lot of different ways. It does. For example, I'm sure some people have seen this story kind of circulating around, but somebody was just sharing their personal experience being sex trafficked. And what that looked like was a, you know, 12, 13 year old child getting on a chat room, meeting somebody way older, them raping them essentially, but entering into a relationship because. Uh-huh. That happens sometimes with kids, the vulnerable kids who, you know, date online and things. And I sound like a boomer when I'm talking about that, but that's a reality. And then that person was videotaping it mm-hmm. <clears throat> for years. This continued on. And then they play into that. They were like, well, you're my girlfriend, but, you know, I'll, I'm mad at you. So I want another girlfriend. Give me one of your friends. And it just becomes this vicious cycle. And that's sex trafficking. 
and they're posting those they're posting those videos online. These kids are 12, 13, 14 years uh-huh. old. It's child pornography, Absolutely. right? Right. <clears throat> but but and maybe that person doesn't necessarily work for Epstein. But that is still sex trafficking, mm-hmm. and and it's that's a form happen- of it, absolutely. And that's happening right now. And so, you know, it's so con- it is a this is a scary, multifaceted issue. And I think right now there's like a, a big, understandably so, like mass hysteria around, it, especially because of Epstein. And then some people are hush hush to see who all is involved. To in see the, who's all involved. You know how how deep the hole goes, and also. If you look at the numbers of, and you can Google this, this is common knowledge. So I just Googled how many kids were missing in 2019. 424,066 went yep. missing in 2019. Mm-hmm. And so like if you, you can't ignore that is it's a real thing. You know, it some people are like, ah, oh, it's just conspiracy, you know, whatever. But it's not. It's a real thing. And, and it's even on a local level because a friend of mine that was involved in law enforcement, he's, he's deceased uh, at the now but like he used to talk to me never about anything multiple in depth he's like man i will tell you you assume it's drugs you assume it's right he said it's sex trafficking and it's human trafficking is what we're investigating in in dyer county madison county obion county tennessee okay so for those who do not realize that is alarming tennessee is we might, we're not necessarily a central location, but we touch borders with eight different states, mm-hmm. okay? Ten, most of Tennessee, like 85% of Tennessee is rural. Yeah, right. Okay? We touch eight states. In eight hours, you can be in Florida, mm-hmm. okay? You can, you're, you're not far from the coast. So... That's very scary because that, not that that makes this area an epicenter, but there is a lot more sex trafficking that happens through here than anybody realizes. And again, sex trafficking is not necessarily taking people to South America or across the border or whatever. A lot of times they target, and this is, and this is what's really sad. And this is why you People haven't heard about it unless you're in law enforcement and you work it. Mm-hmm. And and, and I, same with me. Yep, you. Uh, I didn't. I would have not have known if he had not talked about it. It they these people target uh, vulnerable, low income. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that is a common yep, thing. About that's a it common right thing. So the families don't necessarily have resources mm-hmm. to track this person down. Okay. Often police or, or things will write off their runaway because mm-hmm. their family's involved in drug, or maybe the mom's a drug addict or, or something. They come from a poor area. Well, that's just what happens. Kids run away. Mm-hmm. They get caught up in the wrong crowd. So things don't get pursued. So it's really these sex traffickers target people that they can, that they're like, oh, well, nobody's going to look for them. Yeah, and that's true. And it's the same thing with like, uh, uh, murders and yes. different things you'll you'll see it's prostitutes it's you know drug right. dealers whatever it may be <clears throat> and the, and they don't put a lot of uh, emphasis on finding those people because like you said it's the lifestyle they live or their social class or their social class or their families don't have the resources Absolutely. to pursue it 
And so that's why sex traffickers and and serial killers, that's a whole nother thing, yeah. target that group of people. And so, again, sex trafficking... It, it keeps the attention off of them. It keeps the attention off of them. Sex trafficking is not even... It's not just some stranger throwing somebody in the back of the van and heading south of the border or north of the border. It's a family member, extended family member, who takes a 12, 13-year-old is like, becomes friends with them and it's like oh well come live with me and then they move in it could be a poor family so they're like okay well that's one less mouth to feed and then they move states and then they enroll this kid in a new school and then they start abusing this kid and then they get that kid to recruit other kids mm-hmm. and it happens that's another houses. thing is is it seems like that's what they do and yep. and maybe it's i hate to say it's misery loves company but it, it really is <laughs> and so they're like they get to talking to other people and so on and so on bringing them with them it was kind of, it was one of those things in the Epstein thing people yes. were doing and then some of the women were simply they kind of stepped back and were just leading yep. them to him you know they were just collecting yep. the money just yep. leading those other women to him they didn't have to do any of the the they just did the money collecting the yes. middleman if you will and it's a very it's a very insidious <sighs> it's evil scary thing and and they they pump them with drugs they break them down and so it's very easy for because those people were already those children were already vulnerable and then they spend their formative years living this life that then when they do turn 18 19 20 years old that they can't escape it. That's right. Their their innocence is lost, and they can't escape it. And they they <clears throat> don't know how to live. They don't know. They don't. And so that's it, and that's what's really sad because like people think like you think it's this some crazy dramatic thing, and that's not actually necessarily what it is at all. It's crossing of state lines. It's family members adopting other people and family and it and it's really really sad and scary Mm -hmm. and uh it's it's on a smaller scale and a lot it's obviously on this crazy big scale but also operates like on a local level oh absolutely and that's that's something that you know we we've all seen well you, you hear of drug deals and, and there may be like a known drug dealer in the area or whatever. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, whatever. You just don't really think much about it. No. You know, because they're, they're selling weed, big deal, whatever. But also for every business or black market, there's black market for everything, you know, to some degree. Everything. And like, so just with, just with the, in, the intel that I have just from personal study, it is, it's terrifying to get into. It is. It is terrifying it to is. get into to even know that you're like, not only does this uh, exist in a mega elite rich realm, but this is this is like you said, it's on a local level. I, and, and, you're, and it's so under the radar because of poverty, yes. social class, and it's just ignored. It's like, well, they'll be home in 48 hours. Well, then 48 turns to 72 and then 96 and so on and so on. Yep. And then before you know it, they've been missing for two months. And a lot of times... Yes, you'll you'll find that person. You know they'll find them dead months later, or whatever. But a lot of times they're never heard from again. Yeah, that's exactly. I couldn't right. tell you how many people locally have been missing that you still see their pictures going up or whatever. Yep. There's nothing. There's nothing, nothing. Not happens all the time from from very young to twenties uh, and thirties. Yep. All the time, just 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 vanish. Just Bam. vanish. And it's not that to me. I wouldn't think it'd be that easy to disappear. And you know what? It's easy to disappear and never be found if you're alive if you're kept alive 
I feel like the people who are actually killed, you they they end up finding them. Seems to be. They they end up finding them, finding some remains, human remains surface. Because I used to think that too. I used to think all of these people are being murdered, is what I used to think several years ago. It's like every person that gets missing is murdered. But then the more that I started researching and looking at statistics, no, 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 those people are all trafficked. Not all, but I would probably say that about 80% of those people are trafficked. And I know a guy, no, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking from years past, probably 2000-ish, 2002-ish, when he was, when he graduated high school, he met a couple in Memphis, just just met them, and like, I think eventually he discovered he was bisexual, or I'll say from this meeting he eventually became bisexual, whatever. Super super nice guy, mm-hmm. uh, but he was a uh, a person that I dated, like he was her cousin. Well, yeah. he met them. They were this couple, and they're like, "Look, won't you just come live with us?" They were mega rich. They literally, according to him, they literally gave him a credit card give him a place to stay, give him a Porsche or some kind of super nice car to drive. And he lived this just, he was their literal toy yeah. for about 10 years. Oh my God. Yeah. And like, and he was just like, Hey, I was like, he said, I was 18. I was from this little area, you know, real small town, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, Hey, maybe I am bisexual. Maybe I'm gay, whatever. He didn't really, I think he just kind of went with it because yeah. he'd come from a lower middle family. And then yeah. all of a sudden he just like had a credit card with no limit, whatever. Yeah. All, all from a meeting in a club in Memphis because he was a good-looking guy, yeah. you know, and, and they were attracted to him, whatever, and they're like, hey, just come live with us. Basically, up. even though he may be an adult, that's basically a form of abuse right there. It is. Oh, they just literally, yeah, that's yeah. what I mean. And like, and, and so at the time, I'd be he would be talking about this stuff later in life, and I thought, I don't know, this is wild, but it, it, there's no way he was making it up because he had story after story yeah. after story, and he just never seemed that way like he would be. He seemed like he knew himself and like he was yeah. whatever, and obviously he was, you know, that was his past or whatever, but like he was open about it, but like just talking about it, it seemed like, wait, whoa, you know, what yeah. you're talking about, but he literally like... To a degree, he was controlled. Yeah, you know, but like just him talking about it, I just remember it just blew my mind at the time. You know, we'd be we'd be sitting around, you know, smoking weed, and and he would he would get into these stories, and I would just be like, "Am I just that high that this sounds that crazy?" You know, right. but like I think what it was is maybe he would just get relaxed and he just kind of want to talk about it. He want right. to tell somebody. He never talked about any kind of physical abuse or mental abuse right. or whatever, but he was just kind of telling some stories, you know, of like what has happened to him. And he's like, man, you know, I've done this and I've done that. Not not in a braggart way. I just think he wanted to talk about it, right. you know. But like even then, I just remember that blowing my mind to think, you know, there's actually people out there that can say, hey, if you're willing to do what I want you to do on a physical level, and let me control you mentally to some degree. Here's a credit card. Here's a car to drive. Here's house to sleep in. Whatever. Oh, that happens. That happens so often and to, to so many varying degrees. And people just, uh, uh, that's that's exactly how sex trafficking works, mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. And people just don't even realize like how, especially targeting somebody like, you know, and I say vulnerable people's like, I think in this country, your your class, what you you know, where you sit in the um, like income range or where your family come from, comes from, 
is is that vulnerability that's targeted. I think not, so too. Not necessarily like, you know, like vulnerable, like in other sense, but I really think it comes down to like a financial vulnerability or like a lack of um, influence on, of other family members in your life or like if you have two parents that work or a split family or whatever, like sometimes they just, um, you know, uh, they just, it just happens that way and they're targeted because money is one of the easiest ways to control someone. And if you can make, be like, oh yeah, you know, help somebody be financially stable or, you know, yeah, like they have a credit card with no limit. That's pretty sweet. For a lot of people, that's the American dream, right? For I think for most people, not worrying about money is like an American dream. Now, with the sex trafficking that's happening with these younger girls, that's not necessarily the case. It's not, they don't really make that much money. It's it's a whole it's a different form. It may be a lot of, of money for them for what they've ever seen or right, held, you know. Right, because I watch, you know, I watched the, uh, I think it was on Hulu. Well, there's obviously several Epstein documentaries out right now, but um, one of them, it's either on Hulu or Netflix. They were talking about the this mansion that he had before the island, oh and my the God. and the girls that they were getting to come and do the massages and. Like and and this was you talking about the mansion that was like seventy seven million dollars. Mm-hmm. And the girls were coming in and out, and they would get it was like three hundred dollars for mm-hmm. a massage or whatever. He would pay these girls, and you know, it was like this group of girls. They were sending people back and forth, and uh-huh. you know that was a lot of money. They were all in high school. That was a lot of money for them. Yeah, well. Exactly. Some of them were like middle school, you know, seventh eighth grade, and so it was. It's just. It's really, I, I don't think that sex trafficking is any worse than it has been in the history. Of, yeah, just in now. In recent history. Uh-huh. I think it's just now things are coming to light. People have slipped up. People are talking about it now. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably always been this bad. Oh, I agree. And if not worse, and just now you just, like you said, you're, you're hearing names like Epstein, yeah. Weinstein. You know, you mentioned Hollywood and this and that, like... From, from things that I've read, like, it, it goes such on a, we both know on a, such a deeper level, but, like, even a spiritual level, not even, like, to, to them, it's a spiritual level. But, like, I was, I, I even got into some, uh, to some reading about, like, adrenochrome and, like, yeah. things you're doing. Like, it's, it's just so much, like, my mind can't even, can't even fathom it, but it's, like, you don't weird. want to believe those kind of things happen, but at the same time, you already know they're serial killers, which we mentioned. Like, they're some of the things that they do is horrendous, and it's it's like you read it and it makes you sick, it makes you nauseous. So you know people are capable of such things right. and such acts. So, what's the level that they get by with simply because of their wealth? Well, see, that's what because it's very easy to go down the rabbit hole, and especially with all the PizzaGate and the Adrenochrome and all of this stuff. Like, I saw some whole thing with photos, by the way, that were like pretty graphic mm-hmm. of like these people also eat people. Oh yeah, yeah, cannibalism. You know, that go, that's cannibalism another part of thing. it, you know. And so you're like, you know, how prominent is it really? And it's complicated it's a, it this is a complicated thing because you're like well personally 
Like I wasn't raised in a, like to think that that was okay. Mm-mm. So I have two opinions on this. It would make sense that the elite, elite, the ultra wealthy, you know, they can groom family, children and things because they live, people, if you've ever met or been around with people way outside of your social class, you already understand that they operate in a completely different universe than you and I. Absolutely. They are in a completely different universe than you and I. And it's almost actually like hard to talk to them or interact with them on like a level like you and I would interact Mm -hmm. because they live in their own universe. You're like, even just some of interactions with wealthy families in the area, I'm just like, I just don't. This is not something I, I don't understand you and your way of life because like that's so far out of reach for me. Oh, it's true. I consider myself like a pretty well-rounded individual and I have to really stretch it to like put myself in a place where I can even begin to understand a the m- mindset of the ultra wealthy, mm-hmm. right? So, because like I was thinking about all the cannibalism and the adrenochrome and all this and I'm just like, Who's raising their kids mm-hmm. to think th- this many people to think like that shit's okay? And then it dawned on me. I was like, well, you know, the ultra wealthy operate in a a very bizarre way, a way that you and I uh, will never be able to fully understand because we're not that wealthy. And so I'm like, is this just? And it has to do uh, with like you know some spiritual I mentioned like myself like I was raised up in a Southern Baptist household right it's not something I continue to this day but right. that's how I was raised right. so it seems like they have maybe this darkness this spiritual practices or whatever I'm not even going to get into that but I mean like we're also my drug use like my drug use doesn't proceed like cocaine and LSD now I I did those things, whatever. I feel like some of the experiences were beneficial. The cocaine, nah, just, I was just partying. I was just whatever, staying up. Um, but never for like days or whatever and wasn't addicted. I just did it for fun, experimentation, whatever. But sometimes that drug use for the elite is not enough. They need something more. and it, Or it seems, so it seems. So they, they push the drug use so far and they're not like, well, what's next? Uh, I hear drinking blood's really a buzz <laughs> or like eating a person's really something. Well, if, if, if that's what you can do and your mind's there and you have the ability to, uh, I hate to say afford it because that just seems like diluting it no, of the it, seriousness I mean, of it. Is. But if you have the is. ability to, to say, hey, have you ever, you ever tried human flesh? And you're like, no, but I don't know, man. But yeah, let me try that. But I can get it. But I can get it. It's just like, it's kind of like that, you know, I, I've been in situations where I'm like, oh, you can get LSD? Yeah, I'd like to try it. I've had the opportunity to um, to try other things. I just haven't, you know, but never on a on a level of, of this, this what I would call, you know, sickening pleasures or whatever. But who knows what goes on behind closed doors when you have access to that much wealth and influence. Well, and I think beyond just like it being wealth is like, I, I think that most people can agree that generally speaking, the history of the, you know, whether you believe in conspiracy theories or not, but generally the upper class has more, like you said, an accessibility Mm -hmm. to like things that are taboo. Right. That's a good word. So, you know, like you saw in the Victorian age, rich people would have 
um, would have seance parties. Mm-hmm. Like most people are like, fuck no. And bathe in blood. And Right. And because they have access to that. And I think too, when you, okay, if you think about like normal average people, right? You and I, <clears throat> we work, we make, we pay our bills. Um, we think about money a lot and not in a bad way, but in a, I got to make sure I pay my That's right. electric yeah. You have a budget. Time. Everybody has you a budget. A, you have a budget. You have enough to, you know, pay your groceries. It's a thing. Money's a thing. We, it's a thing for us, right? But when you go into this realm of where money is not an object, you don't necessarily have to work. Um, and your f- whole family's been like that. And, and you don't know any other lifestyle, what do you do with yourself? And this kind of comes to like this whole like that's a good point. Like idle hands uh-huh, and having uh-huh. something to do and being passionate about something or being educated or whatever it is. And I think that there's a uh, and there has been for you know the over the course of history, those who have access to everything, you do you get you start to get a, you know. You want, you're constantly trying to figure out, I guess you could say what that next high is. Oh, absolutely. Essentially. Which is what I was because you get, Right, mm-hmm. because you can. You have access to. And you've already traveled the world. You don't right. yep. really care. You don't have. Um, you've had experiences people save their whole life. Right. To go to. You've had it last weekend. Right. You don't. And, and I will say this too. Okay. And I'm going to try to figure out how to articulate this. So, like. People who've never had to worry about anything, mm-hmm. uh, not that worry or money stresses or things build your personality, but that kind of shapes who you are, right? So like living life, like compared us, middle, you know, middle class, whatever, um, compared to the ultra, ultra, and I'm not talking to just about like a hundred grand a year wealthy. I'm talking about like ultra wealthy, millions, billions of dollars wealthy, I think that the way that we are and the way that we live and the way we spend our money and spend our time is based on like our hardships or what we've gone through as people, right? It's kind of like shaped and developed us. Well, if you have somebody who's literally probably maybe the worst thing maybe that they've gone through is maybe like if their parents divorce and the money's all split up or something, or maybe a death of a family member because everybody dies. But like your life has not been shaped by any kind of hardship. And I think that this is why these people live on a completely different universe. Is like they're just not the same. These ultra, ultra wealthy and people born, and I'm going to rephrase this, people born into this ultra wealth. And I'm, and somebody probably has a, a better way of saying this or like the right way of saying this, but like they are just different mentally than average people. Oh, it's absolutely true. Because like, and that's the, it's another thing too is like, okay, we have generational trauma, right? Good and bad. Like, like the things that our parents went through and their parents went through and their parents went through, that's all like coded in our DNA. Like that's proven, right? So like that shapes who we are. So if you have this group of people of ultra wealth who have not had like 
I would say, average hardships. And they never have. And they never have. And their parents never have. And those parents never have because it's this generational wealth Mm -hmm. that we can't even comprehend. They are just like, like fundamentally different right uh, that's that's exactly true they're fundamentally different so like it's not when i think about it like that it's not that hard for me to Mm -hmm. be like actually i could see how they could rationalize eating can't like eating human flesh right something that's completely just out of the ordinary sickening whatever to us right we would never have that thought because right because our just so, because we work. Because right now, <laughs> whatever like, else, I will say, if I was somebody who like traveled for a living and was an anthropologist and was like somewhere, someplace where that was like a widely culturally accepted, and like you were experiencing that culture, like you kind of rationalize it that way, like okay, they're eating this person because this is right because there's cannibalistic right. tribes out there, right? So like beyond that, beyond mm-hmm. that, I'm like, mm-hmm. and I've just in this, in these people these the ultra wealthy who are fundamentally different who and generally speaking like people who come from this generational wealth and i hate to bring in fraternities and sororities and things like it's that all but, tied in. but a lot of those people's families mm-hmm. come from a long lines of these fraternities mm-hmm. or organizations of people who are the same because you they are those People with that kind of wealth are fundamentally, I believe, fundamentally different than your average person. Well, just like you're talking about a budget and 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 different things. So you take you and I, for example, mm-hmm. we have to communicate to come up with a date to get together when I'm off to when you don't have anything scheduled and so on, so on. We have to do research to find things <clears throat> interesting. We always find interesting things to talk about, right. whether we're on air or not. That That's a given. Right. But find things interesting to talk to and do the research and so on and so on. So we have to make time to do this. Right. You know, this is, this is something extra to us. But think of if we did not have any kind of restrictions and we could do this a couple times a week or if we could, you know, right now we're trying to do it once a month. Right. If we could do it a couple times a week or if I was just like, Hey December, uh, let's. What if you're free next Friday? I'd like to fly you and Greer to Malibu, and we do this and we do this, you know, or just whatever. Because I hear there's this great chef there, and he's going to cook us this dinner and this and that. Think of all the possibilities and this and that, and what how it would be, and is and is strange. And I want to show you something. So this is this is something personal. I'm not going to say this out loud, like the number wise or whatever. But I work every day. You know how I work. This and that. I have a budget, like I take pride in not having much debt, you know, because I just, it's how I choose to live. I work hard, I save, I save, I save, and this is like what I have, what I have, uh, you know, something that I've, I've like put back and that I'm so proud of, but like that right there is not substantial. It is for a normal person, for normal you know, person, yeah. for, for whatever, right. but like I put that back so much every week save, stick to a budget, whatever, even though I could go more, I could go less or whatever, but I am extremely proud of that. But for that, like that may be an addiction of one week. That may be two days. That may be a day. Yeah. That's what I mean. You know, that kind of thing to where to me, like that is, that's a substantial amount. Yes, exactly. And so for the average person, 
that is a substantial amount. Right. And then so you think, you know, what if there were two more zeros onto that? Yeah, right. And like I could just be in a place to where I could say, you know what, December, look, uh, I just want to we talked about this one time on air, you know, we jokingly or fantasy wise, whatever, but I mean exactly what I say. If I could build you the top notch studio, oh. all you would have to do is name a list. You could make a list and whoever was doing it, I would just say, You put everything on this list, I'll write the check. Dreams. You know, whatever. And that's what I mean. But like you 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 know there's people out there that manipulate people that way to oh. where they say, Oh, December or, or whoever else if they say, Is this what you want? Absolutely. If this is what you want, this is the price that you pay. Some people are willing to sell their soul, so to speak. Or that's what they'll say. Sure, hey, I got a price. I'll do that for that or whatever. Maybe they're young. You know, sadly, a lot of times it's these really young girls, really young boys, whatever. But they're yeah. giving them everything they think that they want, right? And they're and they're stealing their innocence. You know, and they're they're becoming victims of this. I know we've went in a big circle, but they're becoming victims of this human trafficking. Yeah. Yes. And they don't even see it coming because no. they're making it so appealing to a them. A lot of people, a lot of people don't even know that they've been trafficked. That's until, exactly what I mean. Until they're like way older and they talk to somebody about their exactly. experience and they're like, yeah, you were definitely trafficked. And, and then they're like, well, wait a minute. I just thought I was being sent to these prominent schools and, yes. and uh, you know, these, these courses or whatever. That's exactly right. It dawns on them so many years later and eventually... You, Something I see, if if the information is right and it's accurate, is they use them till they get to a certain point, and then they just, yep, they're just in the wash. You and, know, they unless, don't want them anymore unless you can make yourself useful by absolutely recruiting uh -huh. or whatever. It's mm -hmm. a very, it's a very scary and vicious cycle, and you know, because that and that was a that was a big thing that I was thinking about last week when I was thinking about all this kind of stuff. I'm just like, I couldn't imagine rationalizing that mm -hmm. as a person in my brain, like some of this crazy stuff. But when you, well, I couldn't, and let me think, and I'm not talking about like on the vic, like for the victims, mm -hmm. but for somebody committed, like, right. Like uh, the perpetrator, right. right. The abuser, the trafficker, you're like, I couldn't, I wasn't raised that way. Like, how could I ever do that to somebody? And that's what, that's what really made me, realize like you know what these people with this ultra wealth they really do operate in a they are just a whole nother realm fundamentally different than you and i and we will never understand mm -mm. that mm -mm. and the problem is is like there will always be those people yeah and the scary thing like even if you if you just think about the numbers so you you heard me while i go say what a billion was comparable to yeah 1% of the population controls the population's wealth. Yes. What? Yes. I mean, that right there is just scary in itself. So you take, but if you were even going to say between one in 10 or one in a hundred percent, one percent controls yes. the whole populace wealth. Which I am not somebody who believes in controlling other people's money. I don't believe in that. Right. But I do believe that that in itself is so scary. And we've, and the problem is, is that we've actually operated like that for a very long exactly, time. Exactly, exactly. And it always has been kind of that way. Mm -hmm. Like, 
Because the mm-hmm. ultra rich are providing jobs to a lot of people. Right. <laughs> you know. So you're like, well, and all these companies and everything, everything's all connected one mm-hmm. way or another. Yep, that's true. So you're like, what do you even do? Are we just slaves to this system? Or do we all live in poverty forever and then it's even worse? Because here's the thing. Here's mm-hmm. what happens. <clears throat> Socialism and communism... I know that a lot of people have a lot of beliefs, varying beliefs on those those two words and what they actually mean. But I will tell you right now, you will still have that top 1% with or without socialism. You will still have that top 1%. And you always will. Even with socialism, there will still be the ultra wealthy, there will still be the people on top. And it's not going to be you. It's not going to be me. And so I think people really are ready to do away with and throw away capitalism, which I, I, I get it. I get it. Do I agree with that? No. But what those people do not understand is that there will still be the top 1%. Yeah, there will still be the elite. Well, they, they want to think that it won't be, but, but that's exactly be. right. And and so with or without, now the thing about communism or socialism and then eventually communism is that, yes, there's more security in a socialistic government. A lot more things are subsidized, um, which especially to my generation, that's a very appealing thing. A lot of people in my generation don't have health insurance, don't have 401ks, um, don't have jobs in their field. So something like socialism is shiny and appealing. There's a sense of comfort in that that my generation has never seen. We've never seen that comfort, right? So socialism, man, yeah, that, that really sounds great to a lot of people. But what happens is, is when you say yes to socialism... You say yes to, you say yes to being in the same place the rest of your life. Now, a lot of people are okay with that, but that means like living in the same apartment, driving the exact same car, having the exact same job, having the same amount of food. Only a certain amount of food. That That's what that means. Mm-hmm. And eventually, eventually, and sometimes it takes 50 years, it gets less and less mm-hmm. and less. More, and less. more is mean, taken. Look at, look at subsidized government housing now. Mm-hmm. It's not super great. Mm-hmm. Look at any government program now. Not super great. So <clears throat> if you think that making that for everything. It might be great for a while. It might be great for your generation, but guess what's going to happen? See this like the first generations in any communist or any socialist country, it was really great. Everybody was like we have because they came off of severe poverty, mm-hmm. not having enough food to eat, not having this, not having that, not having somewhere to live, right? So again, socialism was was very appealing, so they turned to socialism and for the first generation or two, they were like, this is great. That stress of my life that I had during those crazy hard times was gone. Mm-hmm. But then for the generations following, it's not so great anymore. Well, and you're always going to have people regardless. Uh, some people, 
you know, minimal is enough or just enough is enough, but then you're going to have some people that's going to want more right? Th- than others. And then that's where you get into, uh, like you said, I mean, you get into like things like capitalism or, or just whatever different, different structures of government. And it's just, it's just how people are made. What it's, may be fine for you is not enough for me or vice versa Exactly. and whoever. And so, so then you get into, yeah, you know, this is fine. I'm living, you know, I'm making it, but, but I want more. Well, and see, I think, I think that that's the difference is like, is like a lot of people, especially in my generation are fine with the idea of just like, here's what you're allotted. You don't have to worry about it. And this is it. And that's, and that's fine. Yeah. If that's, that's the way you want to be, that's the way you want to be. That's fine. But what you should do is maybe go ahead and spend a year on welfare and on food stamps and see if that's, see if that's really what you want. Because that's what it's going to be. And the thing about capitalism is, yeah, there's still that. But if you want more, mm-hmm. you, it it's very difficult and very hard and sometimes near impossible. But it can be changed. Whereas with socialism, there is not really, there's no... There really isn't any. Yeah, you you have you literally have a thumb on you. Yeah, that like that's it, and and the you're not going. There's no more education or whatever. Like it's it's what they allot you, and that's it. And I will say that like it works well in places like Canada. Like people are generally pretty happy there, and that's fine. Or you know Norway or Sweden, wherever you want to say it, and that's generally that's fine for them. They like it, and I will say. For the first, yeah, like 50 years, it probably is going to be just like that. But after, people get sick of it. They're, not everybody wants to live like that. And I think, I think that that's where you kind of come into this, this give and take. Because I think my age group of people are, which is very kind and generous, are willing to say, yeah, I'm willing to sacrifice some of my maybe financial security or what, or, or I'm willing to sacrifice maybe like not ever owning a Mercedes or something (laughs) or whatever it is to make sure that like Mm -hmm. everybody is the same and taken care of. And that's fine. I mean, I think really the idea of socialism comes down to more of a community minded aspect, which is not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing at all. I do think that we should take care of each other in our community. The problem is, is like, we already have the funds to do that. We're just not allocating them properly. Like, I think that the way that government spends money is not good. There's a lot of money going to politicians Mm -hmm. and bullshit things. Just waste. Just wasted. Now, if we were to like really allocate our our tax dollars in a way that like improved the programs we already had... Nobody would want socialism. No. But we want but now it's like people are like, well fuck this, it didn't work. Capitalism's not working right now. So just I just want socialism. Or or they're just taught to say that or somebody pays them to say that. Right. Or somebody's like, "Hey, right. look, um you've got a pretty good platform or just whatever. It's like, hey, if you'll plug this, I'll give you 20 grand right. or I'll give you 50 grand in advertisement whatever." So they think, "Wow, that's all I have to do." So they did it. 
yeah. you get you get prominent supporters, right? Or maybe they're not true supporters; they're just doing it for a paycheck. Yeah. Then people get it gets traction, and people continue to voice and voice and voice and so on and so on. But like you said, you're you're seeing that um, even like with uh, with Bernie Sanders and like right. the the people that are talking about it, like. Most of the people, and I'm not being disrespectful, but they're uninformed. They don't. They don't know. They just like Bernie's our guy. Uh, he's for socialism. Yeah, that's what we need. And it's like, do you have any idea? And they're like, we don't care. Yeah, we they just don't. that's what we want to do. No, they don't. And, and <laughs> you, you know, know, that's that's fair and valid. And that, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that capitalism is perfect and has worked anyway. There's a lot of people that suffer under under capitalism. Absolutely. Sure. I think that we can a hundred percent improve upon like our federally subsidized programs that we have and reallocate money to where people don't feel like we necessarily, because I mean, okay, technically speaking, things like welfare and any money from the government is technically, it's a form, a form of social. It absolutely is. is. Mm -hmm. Anything government funded is technically that, which we already have. So, Number one, that should kind of clue you in like, well, it doesn't really work that well right now. So making that everything mandated uh-huh. mandated might not really work either. And it's because the people who are controlling it are always going to abuse the power. Well, Just like what you mentioned in the very beginning yes. when we started talking. And that's the thing is like, is like, okay, how do we figure out how to make the programs we have actually were and this is again it all comes back to a misuse of tax dollars in the first place Mm -hmm. because these programs would absolutely work and absolutely help people better and more efficiently if they if these tax dollars were being allocated properly and you know i think we need to put way more fucking money into our public schools that is the whole thing the fact we cut we cut public schooling so much but every time Every all time, always education. The time, but you yep. know why? So there's actually, if you go back to like the early 20th century when they're kind of like building public schools and public schooling curriculum, there's, I don't remember the name for what the public schooling style is actually called, but there's some kind of teaching and classical teaching. So you see some, we actually have a private school here in Jackson. Um, that operates in the classical teaching realm, which is like a complete, and it's not Montessori. Montessori, I have a lot of mixed, I have a lot of mixed opinions about Montessori, which maybe I'll touch on at some other podcast. But anyway, it's not Montessori, but it's classical teaching, which if you do a little research in history, it's a completely different way of schooling and like what is taught and how it's taught and things are built on. And if you look at it, and this is this is public information, this is not conspiracy, this is not down the rabbit hole, but the way that our public schools are built, and this is not just an opinion either, but actually a lot of people have this opinion and don't realize that it's true, but our public schooling was adopted from from a so, from the a communist socialist style public schooling which creates workers people who don't question and people who do what they're told Mm -hmm. that is in a absolute fact so the way that all public schools are is this set way of creating workers okay you can that is public information 
That is completely not a conspiracy. This is not an opinion. That is that is the truth, right? So so you have some private schools so you can pay for your kid to go to like a classical teaching style school, which is not that, which teaches questioning, creative thinking, da 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 all of those fundamental things for a not work working class society. Okay. And then you have public school. Now they're like teachers are not brainwashed robots who are like, we're creating workers. That's not it at all. <laughs> That's just the way that the standard of the curriculum has been set. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's an entire problem in its fucking self. So we continue to like shit on public schools, right? Not give them money, uh, have teachers not having enough resources, classes being overwhelmed, but that's like all on purpose. That is all on purpose. Has anybody noticed that we've never had a presidential candidate in recent history in the last 30 years who said, you know what? We're going to fix the public schooling system. Has anybody noticed that nobody's fucking talked about that at all? There's a reason for it. Because they don't want to. No, exactly. They're not going to allocate money to that because that's not the standard that has been set. What people don't realize is we have been actually operating slowly already in a lot of socialist ways mm -hmm. from jump. So, but it, but it's this weird mix of like socialism and capitalism. Uh -huh. So like you can send your kid to public it's school. A little, it's a little bit. It's a little bit, right? You can send your kid to public school, which is a, a, a federally funded program public school right okay your tax dollars pay for to send your kid to school for free right and they can have they have that you can send them to the school to learn this not questioning building a worker style education or you have the freedom maybe not the financial freedom but you can bust your butt and you can send them to a private school and get the mm -hmm. education that you choose right so we're really kind of on this bridge of where it's like most people, middle and lower class, are being groomed for socialism, essentially. We're being groomed to accept it because we're like, we have no other option. And I also think that's why you're seeing these discussions and this uh, stance shift or whatever mm. in, in, the, in the youth. Yes. And in the younger, because like you said, a little bit has gradually yep. built upon and so on and so on. Maybe their parents, now their kids. It's different generational yep. to where now it's like, hey, wait, this is not such a bad idea. But in my opinion, just so far as just like, if you want to take it with us, you know, we've been doing this for several months now. Let's go back to the beginning when we first sat down. Yeah. What is the problem? Leadership. Yes. Leadership. Yes. Right there. Every so, time. so if we've got any new listeners or whatever, and you go back and listen to our former podcast, you'll hear us very much talking about our stances and our experiences with leadership and how we feel on that. And we're, we're not going to get into that, but like, that's the thing. And regardless of what leadership is in charge of, if the system, if the school programs, if the government, if uh, the church, if the, the beta club, whatever, if it's failing, the leadership of those organizations and whatever is failing. Yes. And that is the whole issue right there is, like you said, there's no importance being put upon these things by our leadership. Therefore, it's not important. Right, because 
because uh, you know i mean and in all honesty the only person close to a political political candidate in the last 15 years that i can even remember saying anything about public schools is michelle obama and she was like i'm a product of public schools I believe in our public schools. And she did some things to help <clears throat> like change the kind of food that was being served when I entered into high school. And that was an, and that was it. And, you know, you might have some people on local levels changing, but. And, and a lot of people had a very big problem with that. They had they a very big problem like with that. Uh, but, the, but then, you know, now you've got things like people saying like, oh yeah, let's do common core and let's do this and let's do this and all these things. And it's like. Uh, there's just <laughs> there's two things that I wish that as soon as I have a candidate of any kind who touches on these at all because they fucking don't I will vote for them okay and it's these two things number one somebody actually talking about the public schooling system and number two somebody actually talking about the foster care system because as I always say I say it every time we sit down our problems come a circle all the way back to our children in the home and what's happening there and who's getting left behind and who is um, trying to make things better. And guess what? You're never, ever, 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 ever going to hear a presidential candidate mm -mm. talk about any of those things because guess what? They actually don't give a shit about no. any of us. They no. really don't. No, you're always going to hear boosting the economy unemployment, building jobs, so on, so on. Which, don't get me wrong, those are important things. Sure. But, like, if we just backtracked for 15 years and focused on our, our children, a lot of those problems will work themselves out. If we actually put real money into our public schooling systems, I guarantee you the incarceration rate of people... Okay, would go down. But guess what? Prisons is a multi-million dollar industry. And I would challenge each individual listener to invest in, in, in a child. Like if you have a little cousin, a nephew, yes. a, a niece, uh, obviously your own children, like invest in them. Yes. Like, like do things with them. Be, you know, just whatever. Take them fishing, read books to them. All these things. Get, get more involved in the family process and make it wholesome. You would see change, natural change. Well, and I will say, like, if you kind of go off of, like, socialist ideas within some of these European countries, like Sweden and Switzerland and Finland and things like that, a lot of things are community-based about taking care of kids, keeping an eye out for one each other. Those are all things that, like, we absolutely in this country could do a little bit better of. Now... The culture in America is different because you have a lot of people being like, don't get in my motherfucking business, especially when it comes to my children. And I understand that. Sure. But at the same time, we have to figure out some kind of balance because a lot of children are suffering, right? And I'm seeing it now. Mm -hmm. I, I'm seeing the repercussions of our lack of money in the public school systems, our uh, lack of attention to what's going on in the foster care i'm you're seeing all of that now and we've been seeing it this is not a new thing mm -mm. absolutely not this is not a new thing but the problem is is like too many people 
circling and this all ties into the Epstein thing and everything. People are willing to go where the dark money takes them. Absolutely. So if people see that there's a lot of money to be made in incarceration, what are you going to do? You're going to up your mm-hmm. police force. You're going to give, you know, kickbacks to police departments that are arresting more people. You're going to make certain drugs illegal. You're going to make certain charges have heftier fines, mm-hmm. heftier jail so Whatever times. makes the money come in. Whatever makes the money come in. And unfortunately, it's so much easier to make money in essentially in a negative way than it is a positive way. Making money in a positive way takes a lot longer because, yeah, guess what? You got to start at the home. You got to start when kids are little, right? Well, that takes too long to reap those benefits. But what you can do is you can pass legislation that makes it easier to arrest people and and faster throw people in jail in these lower income places. Mm-hmm. It is, it, and that's why it will be it will have to be an entire overhaul of our government as we know it to have a positive change. And and every time I talk politics with anybody, I always say my stance on anything political will trace back to what are we doing with our children first? Mm-hmm. I almost don't even give a shit about uh, the economy, all, all of these other programs, anything else, except for maybe making like abortion accessible. Because if you don't want people to be on welfare, then don't make abortion or birth control inaccessible. Because guess what? People are going to have sex. Guess what happens when people have sex? They have babies. Mm -hmm. So if you don't want that, like you got, you can't choose, you can't say, oh, I don't want people to have abortions, but I also, uh, or I don't want people to be on welfare and I don't want people to have abortions or be on birth control. You can't, Mm -mm. you got to pick one. (laughs) It's got to be one or the other because guess what? Uh, people have been around for a long time, and people have been fucking for a long time, and we all know what the what the product of fucking is. I saw a meme the other day. I thought it was <laughs> so funny. I know this is so random, but it it showed like, and and I'm not at all mocking the homeless or anything like this, but it showed two homeless people like. This chick's ass was all up on this dude's face. And it said, y'all out here wearing masks, worried about COVID-19 and homeless people eating ass. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. Really it was just like a random picture on the side of the road or something that somebody took. And I I thought it was so funny. Just, just the whole ironicness about it. But just like what all you're saying, in my opinion, it all ties into misallocated funds yes. to abuse of power, which you yes. mentioned in the very beginning. I hope everybody got a hold of that. And then lastly, what I will say, as we have said time and time again, and we expound on it constantly, and we try to give examples of this, is abuse of power and uh, just bad leadership. Bad leadership. All across yeah. the board, not just presidential, not just uh, you know Senate, or however you want to say and, and like you said, you mentioned about ease of funds and just this and that. Uh, one of the things the, the mayor in Dyer County said, if I'm not mistaken, if, if I'm quoting this right, is he was talking about potential fine of $2,500. For not wearing a mask. For not wearing a mask. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if that was on like a business scale or like if you're not making people do it or if that was like individual. I don't know. But just like it was a big uproar about it. You know, people yeah. were talking about different things. But um like you said, it's it just seems to be easier just to say, well, if you don't do it, then you're going to have to pay for it. 
right. rather than like really come up with a solution or, or try to, uh, you know, get some good conversation in on it and, and figure out something. But I love what all you just said. Everything you just said there, I really hope people get a, a grip on that because the best investment that we could ever make in our future, a society as an individuals fulfilling as people is invest in our children. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Absolutely. I love what you said there. And I mean, and and that's maybe one of the harder things to do. That's it's a hard thing to. I do. I look back on people investing mm-hmm. in me. Yep. You know, you mentioned talking about school workers, mm-hmm. the the lunch ladies, the uh, custodials, all those things. People invested in us. They yes. made you who you yes. are. They made me who I am to yep. some degree. So just, you know, you hear me say it all the time. I hear you say it constantly about being thankful and being appreciative and, and whatnot. And I learn from you every time I sit here. When I sit across from you, I, I learn a different perspective or or something that something I feel, but I don't know that we share, that right. we've never talked about. But right. it's something that the only way we're going to get past anything, we're going to advance, is to invest in one another and especially our children and our Especially, youth. I love that so much. I no, love what you said there. And, it, and it's true. And and it's the really sad thing because... It's so rewarding. And it, it's crazy to me that more people are willing to cut funding in public schools than anything else. I, I just... That blows my mind. I mean, you see teachers on Facebook every fall. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I need help getting supplies for my classroom. Oh, yeah. All, and people every, on, every year. Oh, my God. I, how like? And the parents buy it for the class. And the parents are buying it for the class, right? And then you have, and these poor mm-hmm. teachers, they're understaffed. They've got 30 kids in a class. They've got mm-hmm. kids that, you know, they're everybody's trying to make sure that these kids are fed. Everybody's trying to make sure that they're, they're especially in Tennessee, they're changing the goddamn curriculum all the time on these teachers who are just trying to teach, you know, whatever the new curriculum is. We had a really big issue here in Tennessee, and those of you with kids who went through this know uh, several years ago because they were in the state of Tennessee, they were giving schools grants if they placed high mm-hmm. in standardized testing. Mm-hmm. So what what had happened was... And again, now this is a form of capitalism that is, well, it's like this weird mix of like capitalism and socialism that is like, is what fucks us. So what ended up happening was they were doing so many standardized tests every year for all these schools that the teachers were like, I'm just teaching from the test book. Mm-hmm. That's all, that is literally all I can do is teach the test questions so that we do good on the test. Can do good on the yep. test. And so these kids are just learning how to take a standardized test. And then also the 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 teachers are being judged on their performance. Yes, they're being judged on their performance. Mm-hmm. And it's like um they uh they just yeah, it, it it's a at that time, I was dating a girl who was uh, she was a teacher. Yeah. And I remember her talking about all this, and it's so ironic that you and I, so many years later, are bringing yeah. this up. But she stayed so stressed, stressed. about it all the time because yep. she's like, you know, if if I if these kids don't go, don't do good on these tests, she gets faulted. I get faulted. The I'm the one. Was, yep. Yeah. You know, she could she could get terminated yep. or whatever the the however that all works, and it was just like. At the job that I worked, like if I don't do my job, you know, obviously there's a process or whatever, but it's nothing like that. It's mm-hmm. it's all individual right. impacted. You know, right. hers is impacted by a multitude of students. Exactly. 
and I was just like, I don't think I really fully probably give the support I should have. We would talk about it, but I didn't really just really think all of it through. And I probably wish I would have at the time, but I just remember how stressed she stayed all the time and hated her job. Yes. Not just her, but multiple educators. When they would get together and talk, like when we would gather and have drinks or we would cook or whatever, that's all they could talk about. And I know so many teachers that retired Mm-hmm. Within that time frame, because they were like, I can't do it. It's not I worth it. I can't deal with this. Anymore. Right. These mm-hmm. kids aren't learning anything. Mm-hmm. They're just learning to pass this test. Yep. It's so stressful. And that you had, so you, that year you had a lot of high turnover, right? And then you had all these new teachers coming in, trying to pick up the slack of what, what, you know, I mean, it was, that was a nightmare. Oh, it was. That was a nightmare for those teachers for so, so long. And it was just like, it was the saddest thing ever because that that's a gap of how many years of kids who like missed out mm-hmm. on vital parts of education or, or vital parts of like helping, you know, critical, critical thinking or whatever it was, somebody missed out on something somewhere along the lines and uh, we all suffer for that. And that's mm-hmm. what people don't realize is like, and I think a lot of people who don't have kids, like I don't have kids. I've got a lot of friends who don't have kids. So they don't necessarily care about it. But, you know, for so many years I worked in the schools and I saw, and I was like, God, this is. What's going on? What is going on here? Like, this is a problem. I saw over, I, and I saw this a lot too. <clears throat> You have a new public school be built and opened in a well. Okay, so it's this happened in in uh, you know Madison County, Gibson County. You have people move out of Jackson because they don't want to send their kids to um, the public schools in Jackson. So they moved out so that they could send their kids to this newer school called South Gibson. Okay. Then you had this like people buying people. I know people who had two mortgages. So that they could have a Medina address to send their kids to South Gibson, right? Wow. So then now they're building all these new subdivisions here, right? People who, and this is what this is what ended up happening was the people who would have sent their kids to like USJ or some of the private schools, they were like, I can pay the same amount of money and have a second mortgage, right? And send my kid to a public school instead of putting them in a private school. So a lot of people did that. <clears throat> Well, then you had all these more subdivisions start popping up. Um, and then you had, because people didn't want to send their kids to Northside or JCM or whatever, for whatever reason, a lot of it, I think, was racial. And, and I don't think people will say it, but I do think it was racial. And uh, now, and then they had to build, they built all these elementary schools and we would go into these elementary schools and you would have one teacher and one aide, and I'm not kidding, there would be like 35 kids in a class. Oh, yeah. That is a an elementary school. Mm-hmm. That is a lot of children. I remember there was one kindergarten class where there were eight classes of 35 kindergartners a pop. Wow. That is a lot of children and trying to get everyone focused to learn yes. to sit down whatever 
and and uh, and get this across this curriculum and all this stuff. Thirty wow. thirty-five students. I don't envy those people at all. Is a lot of students, and that's what happened. You had these over. They had to build another elementary school because mm-hmm. it was overcrowded. So you know, it's like, and and then people were like, "Well, I would rather send my kid to this new school than send them this old one." And I would tell people, I'd be like, "You know what? You're better off keeping them in the other one because guaranteed those class sizes are going to be a lot smaller." Mm-hmm. And everything's established, kind of like they've got their uh huh kinks and worked out. Now if you will. I will say. I, at those schools, those those teachers were so fabulous and so on it and did the best job they could. That's awesome. And, you know, I, I, I never went to a school where I thought the teachers were not trying. Every school I ever worked in, I saw some of the most hardworking people ever trying their best for these kids. And That's good. And That's then awesome. they just don't have the resources. You and know, and they most just, they don't. In most places they don't. I, I, Every year, just like you mentioned, I just don't think it's talked about enough about the educators and what they have yes. to do so far as getting school supplies and, and, and all that. And and it wasn't like that when I went to school. Yeah. You know, like you just bought your whatever you needed, your binders yeah. your for you. Right. Now it's for everybody because so many children don't have the, they just you don't. know, they just don't have the resources or the mm-hmm. income and so on and so on. And you're, you're seeing that more and more. That is... Uh, it's it's everywhere. It's more, it's more. I would say now that I'm involved with someone who has children. Yeah. Obviously, like I said, I don't have children, but you know, even my my sister, you know, talks about this, and and it, and it seems to be more across the board in, yeah. in multiple schools. But for all those people, and I'm sure you have, I have teachers that shape me. Yeah, that that Absolutely. I'm so thankful for. Absolutely. You know, that I remember being. I remember moving schools when I was in second grade from Obine County to Lake County schools, and I was terrified to some degree, like, oh, man, you know, nervous every day, yeah. you know, going in there, and this teacher taking the time to say, it's going to okay. be all right, it's going to be okay, yeah. you're going to be fine, I'll show you, you know, and this, and took extra time, and that woman was so influential on me, and in and, and years and years and years, every single time I saw her, grocery store, gas station, or whatever, I hugged that woman's neck yes. and told her, you know, thank you for all you've done. And I, it seems like it might have been you and I. I can't remember, but it was like last year. I want to say, uh, or maybe we mentioned this in one of our earlier podcasts. I don't remember, but I saw a teacher that was influential to me in high school. Yeah. And and I saw her, and I was coming out of a restaurant, and I turned around and I said, you know, Miss such and such. She was like, yeah. And I walked up to her and I said, I said, I just want to let you know that you were so such an awesome teacher and this is what you did and this is what you did and I remember this and I was like I'm I'm doing good you know yeah. I just let her know I was like I'm not a father you know or anything you know but I said but I you made such an influence on me and I love the way you did this and you cared yeah. and you made a difference in this and that I just want to let you know and of course like she's crying and I'm about crying you know and I hug her neck and all cuz you hear us always saying you and I talk about being thankful and stuff but sometimes like you you got to just like in my opinion, go a little bit above and beyond and, and maybe get out of your comfort zone and just tell somebody, Hey, I love you. Or, Hey, I want to let you know that. And you mentioned this like on the last podcast, you were talking about you telling your friends, I love you, checking in on you. Just want to let you know that means so much in these kind of days and things that we're dealing with, you know, and, and, and from, I'm I'm sorry, I'm really caught up. I got so much I want to say, but, but just, Telling teachers, because we're talking about education, telling teachers what they mean to you and the and the impact that they have on our lives, that they're going to have on future students' lives, yes. is huge. That's also, I've got some negative stories about it as well, you know, that some teachers that really give me a fit or like, 
didn't, in my opinion, take the time to, uh, you know, share more with me than what they could. But at the same time, you know, like, I reflect on myself, like, could I have tried better or put more forth, forth more effort? Of course I could have. So I take responsibility for that, but I have been affected positive and negative, more so positive, uh, by teachers that just went above and beyond with me. And I thank them so much oh, for their place in my life. Man, you know, I, and I really, I got a shout out to my uh, teachers my senior year in high school who um, really let me graduate. I'm pretty sure they... <laughs> They fudged my grades so that I could actually go. They could actually graduate because they they did me a huge favor. Like Mr. Campbell, uh, I'm trying to remember like all um, all my teachers that I had that year. God, I, Mr. Ca- I I had Mr. Campbell every single year of high school. He was really awesome. Um, but he was one of them. Uh, Miss Melican, Miss Navarre, um, all of those people, all of those coaches. Like they really actually are the only reason that I, you know, that I grab Mr. Kuypers. God, I love, but I think I did actually get good grades in Mr. Kuypers. Uh, Mr. This, he has a hilarious name. Um, and he was always a good sport about it. Mr. Licking Teller. Um, he actually, they really miss a my, uh, I shouldn't have graduated with the grades that I had. And I really think that they, they did me a big fat favor. They probably saw My something school. within you and they were just like, you know what? Well, and, you know, they were all teachers that I had had for most of high school. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I just really, like, counselors were calling my mom every other day, you know. Like, they're like, we don't no. think she's going to graduate, you know. It was rough. It was your, really rough. Your poor mom. She was probably on age, too. Oh, she though. was. She was like, don't, I don't want to have to. You, we can't tell your dad, you know. We don't want to have to tell your dad. And it was a big thing. And, and I just really... I got really lucky. I had some, I had awesome teachers who looked out for me. I think that's another similarity we have. I believe I had some teachers do the same thing, even though we've never talked about that. And you know what? So funny. I think that, and I can say this easily, all teachers, all they want to, that's all they, all they want to do is, is take care of and positively influence somebody's life. Every single teacher that I have ever met in my entire life, regardless if they like you or not, Mm They became teachers because they want to positively influence someone's life. And I will say, even the teachers that I didn't get along with at some point or another, they all positively affected somebody's life. That's awesome. And that's, you know, that's all that they want to it's do. It's definitely a burden. It's it It's is. not something, you know, you, you never hear a teacher saying, I'm going to be a teacher because the money is great. No, it never. sucks ass, uh-huh. you know, unless you're like a tenured professor. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, these people like... Elementary, middle school, and high school teachers really, really, they're out there doing the Lord's work, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, they're like, get friggin' shafted. And you would think if we were going to have, if we were going to put money into anything in this goddamn country, it would be to better our education system. So, and you know what's funny is, is like, I would like to know, you know, you have, who's that? Be- oh, God, the freaking idiot. Uh, Betsy Devos or whatever who's our she's the person in the White House supposedly that's in charge of school who like doesn't know her elbow from her fucking asshole about that but whatever like I want to know like who's really making all of these decisions who's really vouching for the money for a public schools and like I know a lot of it too comes down to local to our local governments as well 
And so it's like, what can, you know, you elect your school board officials, you elect your superintendents, you elect this person, you elect this person, but we've got to do, I would love to see some serious reform on how we handle those funds and who we allocate it to and not the motherfucking football teams and uh, whatever other shit sport. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not that sports is bad. Like I played sports in high school. It was fine. It was great. And for a lot of kids, that's completely their outlet. So I understand. But also, uh, I think we need to scale back on all that bullshit and, and put it back into the education. I really do. Like, I, sports I think is pushed so hard. There's, sports is pushed so hard. I see it. I don't guess I ever really realized it when I was growing up or uh-huh. whatever. It didn't seem like it is, but like it's always baseball, softball, travel ball. I mean, local ball. It's, uh-huh. it's crazy. All these names and all this stuff. It's just like, what in the world? Like even, even like with my girlfriend's kids, like, they're, they practice and are involved in like sports and Six, stuff. It is every week. day. Yes. It's every yes, freaking it's, day. It is nuts. You got to buy these uniforms. You got to do this. And you got to do that. Expensive. It's expensive. And you know what's so messed up is like, again, sp- uh, like children athletes. So like high school age and lower children athletes have absolutely been exploited because like last time I checked, like, competition is healthy but really like all that stuff was like supposed to be for fun that was like your leisure exactly. time that was like about camaraderie True. and it has become this whole thing that number one sucks up all the money sucks up all the time you have kids who bank on these collegiate careers and get injured in high school and then like have nothing left and then go through these like entire identity crises because of fucking sports mm-hmm. now i'm not saying like for a lot of kids this is like sports is their saving grace i right. think sports is important i think you learn a lot from sports i i don't think we should do away with sports but also i think we need to pull back some of that fucking emphasis on your physical capabilities well, it's like the it's, it's from what I say too. It's like almost like an ego. Let's just say like you had a star ball player in his day or whatever yes. in high school. Now he's a coach. Oh, it's all oh, about his ego. It's God. all about his ego, and he's like, "I'm it's gonna win. So We're gonna win. Bad. We're going to state champions." It's it that's is all it so is. Bad. Okay, so, ego. So I will never forget this. I will never ever ever forget this story. And my Alaskan listeners who went to Diamond High School, <clears throat> you will remember this person. And this family, okay? I won't say names, but you'll probably know who I'm talking about. (laughs) Great coach. Fantastic coach, okay? I played flag football the first year that it got sanctioned as a school sport. And we were super excited. I was like... And it it was incredibly exciting because, um, you know, it uh, it was just a special time to be a part of, like, the first group of girls who got to be involved in the flag football and we had a lot of fun. So anyway, this coach who has been, it was a coach and a teacher and a gym teacher at our school for a long time was one of the main head coaches. And he was a, he is a fantastic coach. He's a fantastic flag football coach. He's a fantastic baseball coach. Um, all of his children and his grandchildren are incredible athletes. Um, but he was telling us this story. He was talking about dedication and he was talking about um, being dedicated to our team and dedicated to the games and making sure you show up. And I think that those are important lessons because I think sports teaches you things that 
it fills in the gaps that like just sitting down in class and learning doesn't like it teaches you about teamwork how to work with other people maybe people that you don't like but you have to learn how to communicate with sports is a fantastic tool for that I think every child should be involved in some kind of group activity to some degree but anyway he was talking about how the quarterback on his team for that same school because he went to the same high school that he taught he was coaching and teaching at it was a championship game it was like in 1970 something snowing a championship football game and uh you know like the quarterback was married and he's like and he was married and his wife was having her baby was in the hospital having her baby and he skipped the game to um he or no he didn't skip the game he stayed and uh he stayed and played the game while and missed the birth of his child because he was like that's the level of dedication that you have to have now he i think that that um trick pro or that you know like little story probably worked like with his football and baseball players but all of us girls um who played flag football were like um first of all he was married in high school and he was like why are you getting hung up on that like listen to the main parts of the story you know like you need to be dedicated to this team and we're like first of all who gets married in high school? And he was like, well, it was 1970-something, you know. And we're like, who gets married in high school? That's weird. And then we're like, and he legitimately missed the birth of his child for a football game? And so the story completely backfired on him because all of us girls were like, yeah, we would absolutely be so mad if our husband, um, like, didn't come to the – you know the birth of his very first child and rightfully so to play football to play a football <laughs> game we were like the so foosball. yeah we were like all up in arms about that and he was like you're messing the point of the story you need to be dedicated to this team and i remember just all of us were like who gets married in high school who misses the birth of their first child to play fucking football you know but but that mentality that like glory the glory of high school football is like a thing and it's particularly prominent in the South. Greer and I talk about that all the time. We're like, we don't understand like people who don't even have kids in these local football programs go to the games and know the players and know their stats. Like it's a big deal. But because for a lot of people, emphasis has not been placed on education for a lot of people. They think that a potential scholarship is like their only way out. Mm -hmm. Right. And so people are really locked into that whole thing. And so it becomes this big deal. But the problem is... And there's money involved. And there's money involved. The problem is, is like, you get kids who get injuries. And like these poor kids, they're they're dealing with all of this self-esteem, which you're always... That's Mm -hmm. a thing about growing up. You're figuring out self-esteem and your worth and your place in this world. But like... Again, and you see, we talk about this a lot for girls about worth and our bodies and what our bodies look like. Well, for guys, it's that same thing and how they perform and how you're performing as an athlete. There's so much stress placed on that. And then you, a kid has a, a, you know, tears an ACL, right, junior year. Uh, and that's going to affect him his whole life. Going to affect him his whole life. And now he can't play for senior year. And all the scouts that were coming were like, oh, man, sorry. We're not going to give you a full ride to our school anymore. And then this kid who's been banking on this. 
He's been banking on it his whole middle school, high school career. What's he going to do now? Mm-hmm. And you really see, you really, really see that in T-ball and baseball for these for these young these young boys uh, here in the South. They start them in T-ball, which, um, if you're not from around here, uh, T-ball games in Gibson County, particularly, like the cops get called to them every weekend mm-hmm. because parents are fighting. And if you're not familiar, if you're trying to like visualize T-ball, it's like three-year-olds hitting a ball off of a tee. Okay. And, <laughs> and cops get simple. called. It's that simple. Oh, it's so competitive. It's fierce. It is I, fierce. I've seen that too. I've and, seen that. It's and people crazy. pay for coaches for these <laughs> yeah, kids. Yeah, absolutely. And you're like. Well, it's like you said, the fun's not there anymore when we no, were No, no. And like, I remember playing soccer as a kid. Mm-hmm. I remember doing ice skating. And then I, I did a lot of different things. I played a lot of sports growing up. Um, but it was never like, now I was competitive in high school. I was highly competitive, but my parents never put that kind of pressure on me. Yeah, that's just it's something internal within you. Yeah, and they were just like, oh, it's just for fun. you know. Now, they definitely were like super supportive when we won stuff. Like, they were always supportive of us, but they were not like, oh, this is your end-all, be-all. Also, because my sister and I were never going to be like D1 athletes. That's just not, that wasn't our reality, but... You know, I think what happens is, is people see potential in their kids and there are some incredibly talented kids, but then they push them and they groom them their whole lives. And then this kid, this, all this kid knows, I know people with kids in softball and literally every weekend we would go over to their house and it was like, you know, pitching practice in the basement, hours and hours and hours. And kids like 12, 13 years old, you're, you're damaging your relationship with your child because they're like, I don't want to fucking, like, I like this sport, but like. Not this much. And then the parents get mad when the kid throws a fit. And you're like, well, also, remember, your child is a 13-year-old girl. They're going to have an attitude and throw a fit. You know? I, re- I remember there were some, uh, some kids <clears throat> when I was young that their, their family was always fiercely competitive. You know, like just sport-wise and all. And, like, I remember coming to school and, like, now these kids were athletes like they just had this a natural ability and they were so good and i remember being in the stands like at pe or whatever and talking about it and they're like everybody knows like if he misses a layup like his dad's gonna get it gonna jump his ass Mm -hmm. and i just and i was like we were like sixth grade maybe fifth or sixth grade and i just remember thinking like my dad would not say anything about it my dad would be like hey if that's what you want to do you just you just shoot three pointers all day or practice layups or, you know, whatever. Like, like it was just kind of like what you mentioned. Like my, my dad and him, they were supportive. You know, I played some sports when I was young, but like, they never were like, you will be the best at this and this and that. Like it was just for fun. It was just, it was teaching camaraderie. Like you mentioned, and it was just kind of showing that, Hey, you know, this is for fun. This is extracurricular. You maintain your grades and this is a benefit and a reward of that. You know, it never was like, this is going to be your future, this and that. And not that there's anything wrong with saying, hey, you know, if you think you want to be a major league baseball player, you got to be the best one on the team or whatever, you know, that's fine. But like when it comes to a point of of living, reliving those glory days, you know, from the parents or like when the coach is doing that, you know, and he's like, I got to make up where I failed and that's, I'm going to be, I'm going to show everybody. And you see that time and time again. And it's like, to me, it's just, it's like tragic to me. You know, it's just like, ugh. 
It is. I, I, I've seen it a lot, especially since I've been over the past several years to where I've been with ball games, um, to, you know, with like family members or friends or whatever, you know, go watch their sons. And then you're like, is that such and such? And then you're like, yeah. And you're like, oh, now this makes a lot of sense uh-huh. because I know who that is. And, you know, then you're like, well, now, hmm. I, I see why he's so hard on them, and they cannot. They're all afraid to make a mistake, and they all think he's a jerk, you know, and all this stuff. And it should just not be that way. You, you I don't think it should. No, it should be fun. It should, it should be, be fun. fun. Part of youth, you know. It should be fun. And the thing is, is it's it's not. But and it's every sport. It's band. It's you know. Uh, it's softball. It's football. It's basketball. It's you know. We put so much pressure on on it for kids, and it's just like. I told Greer, I was like, I know this sounds bad. And, of course, whatever our, our future children, whenever we have kids, wants to do, we'll let them do. I was like, I hope to God they don't want to do any of that shit. <laughs> oh, my God. Number one, because I can't handle those other parents. I just couldn't. And number two, I just don't think it's to that degree it's healthy. I mean, I really don't. Not no, anymore? Not anymore. And, I mean, I think there's some sports where – in this area in particular, they don't take it too seriously, so it's not that big of a deal. But it's still, God, it's just a lot of pressure. Kids just don't aren't like enjoying it anymore. Well, well a lot of times, you know, kids are natural athletes. Some of them are. They're Some natural athletes. My, yep. my girlfriend's oldest son, he's a natural athlete. Yep. Like he's just got it. But he doesn't play anymore. He's fixing to be. A, I think he's going to be a junior. Yeah, I think that's right. He's going to be a junior this year. Mm-hmm. They made it so not fun. Yeah, and he it was taking yep. up all his summers. He couldn't. Yeah, he did. He was just like he just he just like sit down with him. He's like, Mom, I'm just not enjoying it anymore. It's taken away from my, you know, my my fishing or just yep. like any kind of stuff he wanted to stuff. do. He's like, I can't do anything. All we do is practice. He's like, and I'm just tired. I'm so worn out over it. Yep. And like he's just an easygoing kid, and yep. he's he's kind of whimsical. Like he just goes and does his thing, and I love that about him. Right. And uh, I'm glad that he also saw, like, hey, this is taken away from other things I want to do. He knows that he sees it as just a, you know, extracurricular or whatever, but, like, they were just shoving it down their throat. And he's like, I just don't want to do it anymore. It's made it not fun. And, you know, and I, and I, I give kudos, you know, to her that she was just like, well, that's, yep. if that's, if that's, if you're not having fun with it, then you're not, that there's no sense in doing it. And, you know, there's so many kids who try to have that conversation with their parents and the parents are like, I've spent so much money on. And you get the, extra you get that, co- you and know, you get it, but, yep, the extra coaches mm-hmm. and you're, you got to follow through with this till you get a scholarship. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's, and I, and I agree with you. I understand that to an right. extent, like. But at the same time, they're fucking kids. They're miserable too. They don't want to be miserable. miserable. They're mm-hmm. they are kids, and and like the way that sports has become also like a million dollar industry for like these softball and baseball and football people, like all the training camp. I mean, like I remember soccer was pretty pretty big in Alaska growing up because it's big in Oregon and it's in Seattle, and so it's easy to get there. And so you got a lot of kids. Like, to get into ODP, which is the Olympic Development Program, that was, like, a big deal. And there was a lot of kids who trained a lot for that to be a possibility for them. I mean, they played soccer year-round in a league, and then they also played soccer for the high school. And that was, like, I mean, even then, they still got to have, like, I, I remember the kids that were in ODP or got into ODP or were working for that, 
seemed like relative relatively happy and there was like certain times of the year where there was like a lot of training but it wasn't man it wasn't like it is here or now with sports I mean these kids like and I think I do think it's different places um it's more extreme than others it's definitely that here you can tell it but I remember when I was younger I had two cousins that lived in Memphis and they were always going to practice like you know I'd come down there in the summer and I was wanting to just play with my cousins you know and they were always at ball always at ball ball. and it was like you know just just non-stop so I think you like you said it's just different places it's even more so and uh but I just remember all they would do is when they would come uh when they would come to visit, they were always in this window of, you know, we can stay Friday through yep. Sunday, and then we have to go back home because we, we have ball, ball practice, practice, and they would just be like, oh, I just wish I could just stay here and fish or, you know, stay here and just uh, ski or, you know, whatever it might be. And the problem is, is if they miss practice, then they would get punished for it it's by the It's still the same now. Yep. Still the same now. Yep. Because um, I know of kids recently that have been on vacation, and, like, the coaches tell them, oh, you better get ready to run. What? Yep, yep. they punish Because you went on vacation with your family? And you're a kid. You're a freaking kid. Yeah, you're a kid. Like, you're like a kid. If, if mom and dad say we're going on vacation, that's what happens. Yeah. You know, and it should oh be fun. God. It was so much fun when I was a kid. I, you know what? We had, I, I had fun playing high school sports. Uh, it was just enough, like, pressure to be good for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it, like, kids do need some of that structure and some of that, like. I agree. You know, I think it's good. It can be. It can be. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I benefited from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but some of these other, some of these other things and the other ways that these, though, like, operate. God, it's just. It's. They push them too hard. They push them too hard. I guarantee, 15 years, you're going to start seeing documentaries about kids being yep. like, I'm the product of a freaking travel ball. I, I would know? agree with that 100%. God. Like even, you know, myself, like sometimes, you know, and I'm sure sometimes your work is demanding. You know, my, yeah. my work's demanding. And sometimes I'm just like, wow. And then like. I sit down with them and they're like, you know, I got, I got practice from, you know, one to five or whatever it is. And I'm just like, one to they, five. They demand what? a lot out and of And it's every kids. day? Every, Are you kidding heat? me? You're not even going to school, but no. you're practicing from one to five? Yep. Oh my gosh. And then like, you know, when they get home, you know, that, that, that period from like, let's say five or six, it begins to cool off slightly in the yeah. evening where they may want to play with friends. They're so tired. They can't do anything. They can't They're do just anything. like, I just want to take a shower and just relax. And it's just like, I never remember saying when I was a kid, I just want to take a shower and relax. No. I probably did. But like our practices were like, I would say at the most twice a week, maybe three times a week. Like when we were like maybe towards a championship game or something, but like, I just remember once or twice at the most. Now I remember, um, when we, because all of our sports were during the school year. Mm -hmm. Now flag football started maybe like a month before school started and it was only a couple days a week. And then when school started, it was every day. But it was from like, we got out at like two o'clock and it was over at like, four or five you know it yeah, was two hours it was like two hours sure and now, i can dedicate two hours oh yeah and then like when i did cross-country skiing that ran a little bit later because they bust us out to places to cross-country ski mm-hmm. but i mean it was like we were still home for dinner like we still ate dinner with our parents and stuff and mm-hmm. i just 
See, and that's another thing, and, and it goes back to what you were talking about, about investing in the in the children and all that stuff. Like, if you're taken away from the home, you're only doing damage. Yes. You know, or, or if you're taken away from the people that influence them in their life, a lot of times it, it just may be more damaging than beneficial, like with these extracurricular activities. Well, and, and I will say, just like school is an escape for some kids, sometimes the sports is too. That's right. So it's a it's a yin give and, and a take. There. It's yep. a yin and a yang. Mm-hmm. I do and I do think sports is important for kids. I think that every kid should play, you know, at least one season. And there's some kids who are just not interested in sports and that's fine. But I do think it's good for you and it's it's good for team building and learning how to, you know, communicate and be a team player and I, and I do think sports is so important, but like I like I've got a friend who's got a son and I like his career got ended because he just couldn't heal a shoulder and he kept you know he wants to keep playing and uh, injuries are not addressed sooner because kids don't want to speak up because they don't want to lose any playing time and it's important and their scholarships are depending on it and so they push through Sad. and then it gets so bad that they have to have surgery and then they have surgery and the, well and the doctor will say we can do surgery and you'll never play again or we can do this much of physical therapy and try to make it through. You know, I, I know a lot of people mm-hmm. that whose children or who them themselves are in that position. And it's so sad. Like, I think if you have a kid who wants it, and a lot of them really do enjoy it. Oh, absolutely. You know, but I think that we've we've created this culture, especially in the South, where it's like kids bank on that, man. They bank on that potential of a scholarship and the problem is is it's like there's not that many to go around you know and and a a lot of times there's there's cuts with different things and there's always extreme but i'll go back to what you were talking about with education and things of revamping the educational system why is it okay so like art meant something to me and i know it very much meant something to you and it's it shaped you of who you are i mean your art is amazing art was a big deal to me because I never experienced it until high school. Like there wasn't any, you know, I mean, coloring and so on and so on. But like when I got in high school, I was like, I think I'd like to take art. And it was just, it exposed me to this whole new world of creativity. I knew, I never even knew I had. So why is it whenever the, the conversations begin about, uh, educational cuts and whatever, why is it always art and music? Art and music get cut first. And so, okay. So, and it, it's so funny. They always get cut first. And art, in one, you'll have one art class, okay, for the year, and they'll cram painting, sculpting, jewelry making, whatever it is, depending on the school you go to, into one year, right? One art class with a teacher to teach all of those things, just in brief little couple week, you know, things. Which okay, yeah, that makes it fun, and you get to try out new things. But like, by contrast, that would be saying that would be like saying like. Okay, we're going to have a sports team, but we're actually only going to have basketball. Uh-huh. And you might get to play a little baseball in there a little bit, <laughs> maybe. When, when, when I let you. When I let you. <laughs> but you're only going to play basketball. He loves that basket. So funny. Um, Hey, don't shoot Hobo. Hobo. That's funny. Um, the, the the cat just jumped into the basket and went to chewing, and, and like it's so funny. He is so... And December made a great basketball I shot. Did. Speaking of, of a little trinket into the basket, and he got it out. He blocked the shot and knocked it out. It was so funny. 
he's so crazy. But, but yeah, Hollow. no, you're that's right, Penny Hollow. <laughs> but you know, that's the whole thing. You're right. Is like, why do they get cut first? People don't think it's important. But what about what about the kids that don't like to play sports? What about the kids who want to? It meant more to me art class. Uh-huh. Like like I said, in high school I never played ball or anything, but just like art class. Even even with my peers, I didn't know that part of my peers existed, that they could draw or that they could yes. paint or sculpt or whatever it might be. I was amazed by that, realizing that this girl or this guy that I barely knew or had not really had much interaction with was an amazing photographer or painter or whatever. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> he smacked his face so hard. Sorry about all that commotion. <laughs> I shouldn't have thrown that at him. So I, funny. He took off with his That was entertaining. <laughs> shoo him away and he smacks his face on the table i'm sure y'all heard that but but you know it's and i will say i was very fortunate to have i I did not take an art class until my senior year of high school which i almost failed but because of mr licking teller he did me some really big favors um but I was lucky that my parents were super into art. So like I was had a lot of exposure to it, but how many would be artists would there be if they had like more opportunity Mm -hmm. that wasn't just like, okay, here's one art class where over the course of the year, we're going to cram in, which now when I was in high school, I thought that was cool to be able to try out all of those different things. But like, can you imagine if you had an entire year in pottery, what you could develop, how you could hone that craft? Because a lot of kids, like I know some people who, really were super good at pottery but like it's expensive to have a kiln and to have the wheel and everything so like that was their only opportunity to Mm -hmm. do that but like what if they had had an entire year like what could they have done you know and it's It's so funny you say pottery because there was a picture of me in the newspaper doing some pottery when i was in high school (laughs) yeah i was like on the wheel you know and like my teachers over me and it was like they just happened to walk in at that time. So it wasn't planned or anything. They were just like, you care if I get a picture of it? I was like, no, I don't care. And I just remember my grandmother. I didn't think anything about it. I didn't know she it was going to be in the paper. That. Oh, my gosh. My grandma was like, I'm sorry. It's in the paper. I cut it out. It's, it's so in the proud. Yeah, it's you in know, the scrapbook. It's so funny, you know. And even to this day, you know, she's like, you know, I still have a lot of those drawings and Aww. those f- f- photographs of you in the newspaper. So it's so funny. Because your family's proud. People exactly. are proud. Yeah, they're proud and of And it's just one of those things. So I've never been in there for baseball. Right. I wouldn't have been in there for football, soccer, whatever, but right. there I am in art. So it is important, and, and I hate that it's, uh, you know, I'm we're surrounded by art in here today, and if you know you, you can just tell the, the major influence, and, and it just like, I love it, and it speaks to me because it always meant something to me. Yeah. And, and I'm just so thankful that my school did. Yes. It was there, and it was a thing that you could do, and it's something I still do. But it's something that those that know me, you know, I've got art hanging in people's houses right. that that uh, that that I've just done for them and different things, or maybe you know somebody like yourself, you know, I, I meet you and I'm like, I'd like to do this for you, or I just show up with a painting and say, here, I feel like this belongs to you, and I'm sure you've done the same thing, Absolutely. you know, like that. And uh, but I never would have, probably never would have done. I doodled and different things, you know, but like. The, the art teacher I had, like, she brought it out of me. You know, she was like, let's let's do this. Just try this. And, you know, I just, I'm thankful for that. But it's always art and music uh, you know what? that is cut. And I remember, I, I very clearly remember when it started getting cut. And it was when I was in elementary school. First and second grade, we had art every week. Mm-hmm. So every day we had, like, an extra, co- so... 
the way that my school was set up was like we spent the first half half of the day in uh we had like in a group of first grade there was two classes there was the japanese morning class and the english morning class right and then halfway through the day you would swap and you would have your japanese in the afternoon or your english in the afternoon whichever class you were in okay and then you so you swapped those every day and we did all the subjects we did math reading writing science uh you know geography history we did them all divided up between those two classes okay well we also would have like either gym I think we had gym like twice a week then we would have music class once a week we would have art once a week and then there was like one other one that we would do maybe that was it gym art music and that would make sense if we had art twice a week. And then maybe one day a week we wouldn't have anything and it would rotate out. Well, we went from having art once a week to once every two weeks mm-hmm. to once every two months. And then it got to be when I was in fourth or fifth grade, our teacher, she, I wish I could remember her name. It started with an M. She was super cool. She was our art teacher all of elementary school. She'd been an art teacher for like a million years she we got into class one day and she's like we can't do any art today she's like I have to teach you I have to read you this stuff about art stuff because it's part of the new curriculum and we were like so we get art once a month and we don't even get to paint anymore and I just remember every kid especially in elementary school loved art class even if they weren't good at it like I was not particularly good at art class but I loved going to class because I wanted the opportunity to play with paints or yarn or whatever it was and I remember when we started getting it cut back we were every single one of us was so upset Mm -hmm. and then it was like every year we had it less and less and less and they held on they held on to music for as long as they could for us but I think by, I don't even think we had music class by the time I was in sixth grade. And it was just, it was really sad. Uh, no, I take that back. We didn't have music because in sixth grade we had to choose either band or orchestra. So that replaced music. So we did get to still do that. But, you know, it was just, it was a bummer. And it's really sad because even if you're not good at art or like you don't particularly like to do it, it's a nice reprieve from the day. Like I try. You it's know. like a, 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 yeah, I agree. It's, it's a break in the studious part of school you get to use your hands you get Mm -hmm. to be creative which like creativity is so important in learning problem solving and critical thinking so like even if you as an adult never touch a paintbrush in your life that exercise the exercise in creativity is good for you and it's good for your brain and even i agree 100 percent. and even when we never had art when I was younger. We did have music, mm-hmm. but when I got to high school, we had an actual dedicated art, art class. class. Yeah, and so, and I I would have had no knowledge of what I'm fixing to mention, un, except for her and and her suggesting things like this, right? So, you know, I didn't really understand the whole 3D drawing concept and all that. You know, like I just doodle or whatever, and she would explain, well, you're putting shadow on that because you're drawing how you see it and all. And then she would kind of show me like how to rough sketch it and all this, you know, not just me, but like everybody. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, sometimes she spent a little extra time. You get what I mean. And, uh, she would show me this. Well, I then in my spare time, I found myself like drawing these shapes connected. You know how you draw like the three bars and the three bars and little S's and different things. And I remember her saying, you know, if you think that's cool, check out MC Escher. 
Yeah. And so like, then I checked out MC Escher and and I was like, oh my God, you know this. And then, so I loved it. And then she's like, and I always draw just, I can't say weird things because they're just trivial things, but like I would just draw just something that just wasn't like a bird or just like, you know what I mean? Like a rabbit. It was always something shape or something Mm -hmm. just different. And then she would say, I like the way you put a lot of different themes and a lot of different things together. So check out Salvador Dali. Yeah. You know, and she then I just like, oh you. my God. So, yeah. so that all those things, you know, that she exactly, she encouraged me, led me to other things and to all kinds of forms of arts. Well, then, and this is the last thing I'll say because I know we're going to wrap up. Mm-hmm. But, um, one thing, uh, one of the biggest things I remember, and and you find this in people when you go to discussing things like this, and so on, so on, and and then your your art maybe devolves, maybe you're doing your art out of emotion of anger, maybe you're happy, maybe you're sad, whatever. But at the time, I was just being experimented, right? I was just like doing this and doing that. I had it was strictly abstract, and then it was like check out Pollock, mm-hmm. Jackson Pollock, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. then it's just like, oh my God, I had no idea this even existed, you right. know? And here I am already, I'm, I'm on my way to 18, you know? Right. I'm, I'm, I'm a young, I'm an adult. Yeah. And like, I had never heard of these things, you yeah. know, uh, until, you know, like earlier. And so who's to say what, how it may have shaped me differently if I'd been, that'd been taught to me some second grade, right? you know, or just whatever. Well, I But mean, I just remember it being so liberating. I... It was really funny. I have a friend who comes to stage with me, and, like, when she she travels a lot, she does, like, a lot of road trips, and she brought her, like, boyfriend and stuff to stay with me. And they were both have, like, art major degree type things, and we were talking, and he was like, did you go to college? And I was like, no. And he was like, well, he said, I've never – and I think maybe his perspective is a little bit smaller, actually, because he's only ever been around other people that went to college – But he was like, I've never met anybody who, like, didn't go to college who puts this much, like, thought into their art. And I was like, ooh, don't say that because, like, most people that I know that are artists didn't go to college. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, But, you know, but for for his perspective, he was like, the way you think about things. And he's like, it's really shocking to me that you didn't. And I was like, well, I was kind of, like, raised this way. Like, I was very lucky that my parents were artists and everybody in my extended family is some form of an artist and I was exposed to it a lot and I really think that's why my art is what it is now because of that and so and I do think art I is, is so 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 important and like we were always allowed my parents were interested in all different kinds of things they were always showing us paintings um they took us every place we went we always went to museums and like that's I, I've built vacations around just going to museums because that's something that I find very fulfilling. And so, like, I love art. I love music. I was always, I was very lucky to always be surrounded by it. And I think that there's a lot of people who, you know, maybe that's not their thing, but, like, we could all benefit. Like, even if you're not, like, don't play an instrument or don't paint or do anything artistic, every can everybody benefits from art and media of some some kind and I think that people especially people who think sports is everything especially for kids don't realize that artists shape our world artists really we owe so much the label Mm-hmm. On your power. Read. That's what I was gonna say. Just things you don't even think about. Your the de- design, the design mm-hmm. of your bulls, the color of your bulls, the the way things look. 
an artist had a hand in it. Absolutely. And whether that artist is like an engineer, I believe engineers and architects are artists. I, I believe everybody is an artist in some way. I, I will say, I believe that forms of athleticism are an art. I do mm-hmm. believe that. It's a physical art. Everything, if you look at, and, and that's what changed my life, <clears throat> is like realizing that like everything is, is, been, is touched by art. There is nothing that's not. And when you look at the world like that, it becomes so much more beautiful. You know what I'm saying? Like, I definitely do. Because I used to be somebody who there was like particular styles that I didn't like. Mm-hmm. Like I was not a fan of, you know, this boho look or this style or the style from the 70s like this. But then I realized I was like, <clears throat> or even old office buildings, I would like hate. I would be like, I hate how this looks. But then I, I stopped and I was like, actually... Somebody was going for something here and they accomplished it. And now I can kind of see and understand like they were asked to create something, you you know, utilitarian that all goes together that can be dressed up or dressed down. Right. And so I, when I started realizing like that was somebody's art to some degree in it, it made me like be able to like actually love and appreciate it even if I wouldn't have initially. And I remember just, you know, sometimes these things, these different concepts come through movies. I remember one night just like, and sadly, but it was years, years later, I would say 15 years ago, I'd never heard of John Michael Basquiat. Yeah. Never. And like I watched the movie. Yeah. And love the movie, yeah. and then delved into research about yeah. who he was and his all life and all this. To me all the and time. I was like, "Oh my God, how could I not? Yeah. How did I not know who that was? Because I had seen the art, yeah, you yes, know, and totally. had no idea who it was, you know." Yep. Well, and that's I. I still have that. I mean, I, there's still things that I'm discovering all that, and that's what's fun is like it is when you look at something different. Like you know, you and I were talking about research and just looking up different things. Like you know, you can be like. Who decided that fence posts were going to look this way? And sometimes you're not always going to find the story, but there's a story somewhere of why something looks the way that it does, and that's art. That's true. So That's true, and different perspectives see it different ways, and that's fun too. Yes, absolutely. Who's to say a purple banana is not awesome? Right, exactly, (laughs) and that's what art is subjective. I love it. Art is subjective. I love it. Well, thank you guys for joining us today. We'll go ahead and we're going to wrap it up on that note. Um, As always, we appreciate any feedback. We love our listeners. Um, It's good to be back in this chair. Absolutely. Hopefully we won't go so long between the next one again. (laughs) Our heart yearns for it. Our heart yearns for it. And we communicate, you know, we we text one another. Obviously things change with her, things change with me, but she's been, uh, you know, dealing with some things uh, health-wise and, and uh, some other things with myself, just busy. And this heat has been hard on everybody. So stay cool, stay hydrated, stay well.